least three people. Okay, so uh, as we were discussing before the recording started, Agora has brought a lot of stuff to the table. And as I was saying, I brought a little bit less to the table than I normally do, um, so I won't direct the conversation as much. Uh, I had I, I mentioned this last time, and the book's kind of hard to find, but and I've barely gotten any further in it since last month. Uh, it's called Experimental Americans, Silo and Utopian Community uh, in the in the twentieth century by mm-hmm. his name is uh, George L. Hicks. So this book is out of print. It's it's kind of interesting. I've, I'm actually only like two chapters in, but it's it's interesting to me the perspective, and it kind of harkens back to what we discussed a little bit on the first episode, which is the perspective of. Uh, I, w- I and I would say that this guy's. I would say he's a normie exactly, but he's not a believer to to that degree of like the intentional community because he does very much talk about this in the um in the kind of sense that it is a utopian ideal and that Americans do tend to have this sort of utopian vision. Uh, at least that's kind of the impression I'm getting so far in this, and it may just be he's setting it up to talk about this and the book was written almost 20 years ago at this point so i don't know if i mean he at the time he was writing this silo would have been around for almost 70 years and at this point it's it's been around for 90 but he he talks about other communities as well so i it's kind of an interesting book and they what i was hoping is they would get into sort of the legal structure of it and i think agora you were saying you know somebody who lives nearby there and that it's kind of full of a bunch of weirdos well, it was a guy that uh, he doesn't live nearby there anymore. He said he spent some time there and that he still has connections and that his connection said that, yeah, those guys are a bunch of weirdos. But I think what the issue there was that um, they were allowing people to buy in and they didn't have the structure that we're talking about to, to sort of block out the randos. Right. And so okay. what's happening is, is people are buying in and they're just kind of there. They're not you know, the close knit, uh, community that we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, that, I think that's kind of the, there, there's like a couple of ways that people could do this. And I, th- I think that another example that we mentioned before was, uh, the Earthship community mm-hmm. in, uh, New Mexico, which I, I would say this is, this is different. It's almost different to the opposite extreme, whereas it has, yeah. it has like, extremely wealthy people because those earthship houses are really expensive mm-hmm. and well, uh, living out there in the desert too they have to ship water in and everything else yeah well i mean it's right it's really close to taos victoria and i went and visited it when we oh, were out is there it? Oh, yeah okay. it's, it's it's like it's like 20 minutes outside of taos but it's oh but, what, okay. but what's weird about it is well i wouldn't say it's weird and this actually may be something that's that we would you know take a pointer on this is that it is definitely a lifestyle attraction mm-hmm. and it's very touristy Okay. Uh, and so the touristy part, I think, is might be the might be their driving factor that kind of it it attracts a very particular type of person, sort of wealthy and artsy, because those houses are really expensive out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it also you can you can like Airbnb the houses, and that kind of attracts more like I, I don't want to say this is exactly the case, but like people who feel guilty about their carbon footprint or whatever. Right. Well, that's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. wrong. But uh, that community was kind of designed as like a, a research community. Like uh, they got grants to basically detest the housing style, right? Like, yeah, they're they're using the climate thing as a way to get grants and stuff. Right, exactly. It's it's very 
Uh, I mean, I think I think all of the houses are carbon negative technically uh, because because mm-hmm. they you they all have indoor greenhouses and stuff like that. It's actually well, really, the way they're designed, heating wise. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the whole thing is really cool because they because it is you're it's in the middle of the desert or it's on a it's on a uh, they call it the mesa. So in the winter it gets ridiculously cold, like forty below, mm-hmm. and um, forty below Fahrenheit. So it's like really mm-hmm. cold, and um, but inside these like built in the wall or in built in the ground greenhouses it like keeps their uh it keeps their temperature high enough that they can have like uh what do they call subtropical plants i think so like plants that would grow in like southern texas and uh uh, central america and stuff like that so they do have like really kind of cool it's really cool like no i don't i don't want it to sound like i'm knocking it but it it, it's it's it is definitely um whatever however it started it's definitely become very very uh touristy and uh but it was definitely a fun tourist attraction and they make money so but the further on you get into the community i wonder if it's less like that and that they just use the touristy part as a way to make a little bit of money so they have like a little organic store there and um like you can buy knickknacks and things like that but Uh and then you can tour a couple of the the model homes where they're where they kind of go through and you and they tell you how things are built It's, it's really neat right yeah, I see, I, I do kind of envision us doing something like that. I mean, we've been talking about hunting and camping mm-hmm. and, you know, just using like a, the nature attractions and things like that, which uh, kind of leads into another thing we were going to ba- talk about tonight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, think, I, I don't I know if you want to move on to anything or are you still more? Um, on- no, we can move on to something else. I, I've got a couple of pointers and I'll bring them out when there's lags in the conversation, but um, just, I guess, to to make sure my thoughts are codified, we'll talk mm-hmm. about Cloud Cloud Nine Ranch, which I did a little bit of reading about mm-hmm. that um, Peaceful Trees and Jared told me about, which uh, it does seem like another kind of thing where this is something that uh, their structure is a money-making structure, which is something that can be borrowed from for, for either Childerberg Town or for anybody who's trying to start a kind of an intentional community is you do need some sort of way to fund it and uh cloud nine is kind of an interesting way of doing it and then uh, i thought we'd follow up a little bit on freedom georgia which is a uh yet to be started uh all people of color that's what it says in their thing oh, that one okay yeah, i yeah. remember this yes yeah. we've talked about it's, this before right yeah we talked about it so i thought we'd i just kind of give the actual like summary of it there's not really a huge amount of news actually let's do that real quick because there's not a lot of stuff to say about it okay um so th- this is this was in the news a couple of months ago. Uh, a lot of it, it's mostly African American, but the way that they phrase it on um, in the articles when they interview people, they say it's uh, a city quote safe a safe haven for people of color. So whatever people of color means, um, that's what it's for, and uh, it's kind of interesting. So I guess uh, and uh, actually. Mel, I think, knows quite a bit about this, but she's not on the call right now. But do you guys remember when that guy in Georgia uh, was cornered by those other dudes and then they killed him? I think his name was like um, Aubrey Martin. Maybe Aubrey Martin, was it? or uh, Aubrey something, yeah. Yeah, uh, Aubrey something. The uh, name sounds familiar, but I don't I don't recognize the uh, incident. Yeah, so like I guess he was like looking at this house. Ahmaud Arbery, yeah. Ahmaud, Ahmaud Arbery, yep. that's it, yeah. Um so I guess a bunch, a couple of people. Bit, oh, is this, of, wait, is this the one where they came up in the truck? Yes. Yes. Exactly, okay. Yeah. Okay. That one. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently that that's what sort of spurred this on is that there was a lot of racial unrest in that area. And 
there was a an erroneous article uh, that said that a town called uh, Tombsboro was for sale, which is about um, 130 miles south of Atlanta. And so this this group, uh, uh, the lady's name is uh, the two people who did it is uh, Renee Wal- Walters and Ashley Scott. They thought that was for sale. They went over there, and I guess the mayor of the town was like, "Well, no, the town's not for sale." Uh, but there's about a hundred acres for sale very nearby. And so they end up getting together 19 families. Uh, they raised $1.7 million and purchased that plot of land. And as of right now, it's just a campground. So they don't have any sort of settlement yet, but they are working on getting utilities run to it and, um, uh, sewage. And mm-hmm. then they'll, once they get that done, they'll start building residences. That's their plan anyway. So there's not any information as at least that I was able to find is like what structure they're trying to do. Uh, I don't know if they'll be able to incorporate or if this is going to be more like a subdivision, Uh, but very interesting idea to me. And uh, I'm excited to see it. I don't really care what people's motivation is. I think it's a good idea to live near people who at least share some of your ideas so that um, I think it encourages community. Uh, And so that's uh, I, I hope that this works out for them and we'll, I guess, update as this show goes on. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear how that develops. Yeah, I, I hope I hope it doesn't just kind of fizzle out because it seems pretty exciting. And especially mm-hmm. with like a lot of the, the bad race relations that have been going on for the last several years, um, although some would say that they never really stopped. But uh, I mean, meaning that they were that we never had good race relations, although I don't I don't recall that as a child. And I think also that I think a lot of the stuff that we see is is because of media. But um I think in this case, like if this, if these 19 families feel safer living out in a, a town and they can figure out a way to make it work more power to them. I, I hope this, I hope it works out. I really think it'll be kind of cool. Agreed. So uh, do you want me to bring, I can list the things that I have for today. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, the Let me see. Well, the first two things I have are some, Notes that I took, uh, the first one is notes that I took on buying land from an episode of the Survival Podcast by Jack Spearco. I forget the number, but I'm sure you can find it. Yeah. Um, And it's basically just a list of his points, and I thought it'd be cool to go over. And then we've got a white paper that I'm working on um, to kind of, for the Freedom Cell Network, to kind of expose some of the issues um, regarding information security and um, just how you would set this up properly um, because it, it seems like everybody just kind of wants to jump on telegram and, and just use that. Um, but I think there's mm-hmm. a lot more utility in other directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third thing I have is just a, a writing prompt that I wrote. Uh, it's one paragraph. I, I thought I'd read that um, and get your guys' opinions, uh, but it's uh, the, some definitions for needs, ex- expectations, and rules, and how those three things are different. Okay. Um, and I think it'd be interesting for getting uh, maybe some prompt on on how to develop, like, I guess, for for lack of a better term, the community's constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we can have this basically as as sort of a white paper that would say, like, okay, this is what we are trying to do here, uh, us personally, and what we would expect of the people coming in and what they can expect from us. Right. So uh, that'll be a fun one. I think once we get into it. Mm-hmm. All right. So do we have anything else or do we want to jump into uh, the land notes? 
Let's jump in the, into the land notes because uh, some of those other things that you mentioned from your paragraph, uh, I think that'll be like a longer point of discussion. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can get into that one a little bit later. Yeah, this one's just a page and it's um, I, I can kind of just run through some of the points here. This is um, the episode was sort of geared towards a single family, but okay. I think there's a lot of things in here that we can really uh just used to think about like what it is that we're actually looking for. So um, the first point that Spiro brought up was that prices are only going up, uh, especially with some of these mass exoduses. I'll, I'll mention that um, I was watching a video on YouTube the other day from a channel called My Self Reliance, and he's up in Canada and he had just bought a piece of land a few years ago and built his homestead on it. He built his own cabin and everything for his family and. Um, it it was like right on the edge of crown land. So you're thinking pretty rural. And now like there's developments going in all over the place, like right next to his property. And he had to leave because that wasn't what he was looking for. Right. So mm-hmm. we need to be aware of, you know, just how things are progressing because there is an exodus happening from the city. So prices are only going up. Um, let's see. So I have the next point is restrictions, uh, property tax rates propped up by restricting home building to a minimum of 2,500 square feet. So we need to be aware of what the restrictions in different localities are. Um, So there's a lot of like building code weird stuff that we need to be careful of um, because that can definitely raise like tax rates and raise the price of land if they're going to force us to have, you know, like a certain size house on it or whatever. Yeah, I guess um, that, that would be kind of uh, would be more of like a a legal thing to see like what the jurisdiction of mm-hmm. the the place is. So if if it's like like I remember a long time ago when I lived in Virginia Beach, looking into I was looking into tiny homes, and in Virginia Beach you just can't put them in there at all. But in right across the border in North Carolina, their restriction was you could do basically whatever you want on your land as long as there's water and sewage to the edge of the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think. Then, um, that's kind of what Jack Spear goes uh, places like where they it's in an unincorporated township. Okay. Um, and while it's close to town, like it's unincorporated. So like he basically has no, there, there's no rules for building codes or anything. Okay. Yeah. That, that yeah. makes sense. So that would be, that'd be kind of what to kind of put a note down that that's sort of what you need to look for. And then also you, then what kind of you mentioned earlier about prices going up and new developments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm is that you that it's established that either that you can adapt to it um mm-hmm. with so that that's kind of actually let's stay on that point for just a second because mm-hmm. um and i and i've mentioned this before on uh both strong towns podcast and um the Kunstler cast they talk a little bit about this that uh given certain circumstances it may not be feasible for people to engage in suburban expansion anymore uh, in the near future. And so whereas they keep, you know, here in Dallas, it's like that, or well, I'm in Arlington, but like when, when I drive down toward Childeberg, I, I cannot believe how far out there are subdivisions. It's just, and like the cookie cutter kind of like McMansion, like everything looks exactly the same. And it's like for like an hour South of, Fort Worth and I, I'm like who lives out here and because it's like it's so far away and they can't work out there there's nothing out there other than these subdivisions so um, right that's crazy to me that people want to drive 45 minutes into town to work yeah like I've, I've always you know I grew up in a small town so I've always been 10 minutes away from everything 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And I just can't, I can't imagine like I commuted 20 minutes while I lived in Virginia and that was a nightmare. Cause it was like, it's like 40 minutes of your day is just sitting in traffic, which mm-hmm. you can use to listen to podcasts or whatever. But um, yeah, I, 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 people who live an hour outside of, I mean, it's possible that there are offices or something out that way that I don't know, like, or that I, that you can't see from driving down the highway toward Childeberg, but yeah, that, that kind of like, anyways, that's sort of off topic, but um, that according to that kind of school of thought is that at a certain point, because electric cars will probably, according to them, never become viable and um, because of resource restrictions and what is required to basically convert the entire American fleet into electric, it's just there's not enough of those items. Now, there could be some sort of mass innovation or whatever. I know the guy who invented lithium-ion batteries is still working. He John B. Goodenough, he's at He's in whatever that college is in Lubbock, and um, they're developing solid-state batteries that use less rare elements that, like a lithium battery, uses. So maybe those will somehow save the suburbs. But according to these guys, at a certain point, once once it's realized that the dollar fuckery is done, and either Bitcoin or something else takes over that uh, makes money hard again, the cost of driving into a metropolitan area from a suburb is going to be too much. And the cost of maintaining the freeways is going to be too much. So you're just going to see a very rapid decline in, in drivable freeways. Uh, they'll just, just go into disrepair and you just won't be able to use them as easily anymore. And you won't have access to cheap transportation energy anymore. And so that's kind of their, their thought pattern. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Uh, I think they make a good argument, but those are types of things to think about when thinking about a site as well is that if we move Childerberg town or any sort of intentional community moves near a metropolitan area with the expectation that some of the people who live there are going to be driving into the city, uh, there should probably be a backup plan for that as well, because that may not be something that will exist forever, but the, the reverse could be true too. Maybe, maybe we do live in, in a world of abundant energy forever and, that will exist forever. And so we buy our, you know, 500 acres or whatever and start our town. And then all of a sudden everywhere around our 500 acres are McMansions. You know, that's something to think about as well. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, one other point that I had on that, uh, that I was thinking about earlier today and I just remembered is um, like, like I was talking about with uh, the guy that left because some people were moving in next to him. Yeah. I don't think that we necessarily are averse to that. Um, because we like we've been talking about, I think um, we want, you know, people nearby who are coming by and hanging out and that kind of thing. And uh, it, we we want that economic interaction rather than yeah. just being out in the middle of nowhere. Although, like you said, we we don't want to be directly next to a township and be trying to or or a metropolitan area and trying to drive in. So I'm trying to think where the where the balance between those two ideas is. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that's definitely something to think about and do more research into. I think, and it, and it may mm-hmm. be it may be site relevant too. It may be that certain sites it's relevant, certain ones are not. Like like I said in that uh, when I lived in Virginia Beach, the, the the other side of the border in North Carolina was close enough to a major economic area. I mean, it was it, it was kind of far. It was 45 minutes or so, but. Uh, it was close enough that some people would be willing to make that drive. And there was enough stuff right on the other side in Virginia Beach that could give some types of employment if that's what people are looking for. So maybe something 
like that would work out. Um, but yeah, it's def- I think it's definitely going to be like a site specific type thing, but it is really a good idea. That's good that Jack Spirico kind of pointed that out because that is definitely something you need to be aware of when choosing a location. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so I'll go to the next two points here. Um, you want a minimum of one acre of nice laying land. That means it's flat. It doesn't have like flooding and that sort of thing. Uh, so you could have three acres with only one usable acre. So like, let's say you've got three acres, but two acres of it is woods. Uh, that mm-hmm. one usable acre would have your house and your gardens and things like that. Um, so three to five acres is ideal uh, per family, according to Spearco. I think he's on five acres out there. Um, I think, you know, a- anything around there is great because that leaves you a lot of room for recreation, a lot of room for outbuildings if you need them. Yeah. Uh, on top of your uh, growing or whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, let's see. So I'm not sure. I, you know, I'm not even sure if we would need to go so far as to split things down into three to five acres um, per family. Obviously, it would be nice in, in some situations, but you know, that if you wanted to build like a, a sort of a communal acre or two with, with homes on it, and then maybe the land that you're using individually spreads off from there, I, that kind of thing would, I'd be okay with too. Yeah. But you know, like, uh, where my wife's from in Ukraine, a, a very common thing, not that this would be necessarily the ideal design, but a very common thing is for people to live in the city or in apartments in the city. And then they drive out to their garden plot uh, during the weekends and do work and stuff on their garden. Uh, or they don't drive out, they take the bus out because they, people don't really have cars out there. But um, mm. like that kind of, so like there's different, there's, there's, a, there's a mentality. And it, also this is really, it's a personal preference thing, but there is a mentality in a lot of people's minds that they'll walk out into their backyard and then that's all of their property. Mm-hmm. But in most of the world, or I wouldn't even say most of the world, but in a lot of the world, there you have a separation of where you where you lay your head at night and where you're where you're growing food and that kind of thing sometimes it's further out and mm-hmm. um you know you just you carpool out to that area and work on it when you want to and it a lot of that's from economic reasons there could be different ways to design the the town so that you mm-hmm. could have all of your 5 acres or you know but there's also people who don't really want 5 acres they they do other type of work and they'd rather just maintain you know a quarter acre or an acre or a half an acre or something like that for like right. the for Jack Spearco because it's a survivalist thing, five acres is great for um, being able to grow your own food and and that kind of thing. Yeah, like individual self sufficiency is what he's going for. Right. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, not everyone is going to garden. I mean, we he talks about guys that you know make knives and things like that. If or you know, if you if we had a guy who processes deer, obviously, uh, we're going to end up trading um, for the things that we don't have. So. This is all very subjective, but I think I, I do like the recommendation of three to five acres, um, at least as far as like the American layout. All right. Well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> things crazy. So it sounds like we've got another person who just muted himself. Do you want to introduce yourself for the uh, future audience? Well, howdy, folks. This is Jared uh, at Mongoose Actual, uh, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, just came in here, seeing what Sounds was going good. on, just listening to you the, can chime uh, in when you're whenever talks you want. How much land I need to get? Okay. Oh, dude, yeah. I'm I'm literally just sitting here waiting for my next job, oh, and it's right. taking well, a minute. Good. So I'm just uh, 
All right. My parking pass for six hours. So I'll just sit here. Okay. So I'm not sure what else there is to say about land size. Obviously, your layout is going to be your thing. Um, I think it would be useful to point out here that uh, that is part of the the needs and expectations of your community. So if you've got a group that's more, I don't know, hippie commune style, and you want to do like a communal, like food forest permaculture thing, and then you know, maybe that might be one big area that's owned collectively or by the corporation or however you do this. Um, that would be totally up to you. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I can move, move on here. So uh, filter out long strips as neighbors will still be close by. So you want to be careful when you're choosing your land because a lot of these, you know, let's say you're on a highway and it's like a weird cornerish plot where you've got, you know, half of your acreage is on a an angle that's more and more narrow going up to the highway there uh, because the highway cuts across at an angle. Right. So I, I saw a lot of that around uh, when I was looking and that will affect the price a lot, but just be careful because, it, you know, the, that price is lower for a reason. You don't have as much usable acreage. Let's see, uh, water availability, city water, rain catchment, or well, try not to ship it in. So I think he was kind of referring to the earth ships when he said that. Right. But, and they, they, do, um, they do a very good job of, uh, I guess, water uh, conservancy, but there's very little water yeah. available. That's And so that kind of makes a... Mm-hmm. Um, that that does that 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 is it. That's a good point, especially, and also a good point that uh, you mentioned was, well, California in particular, I know, has a lot of uh, rain collection restriction, mm-hmm. and so that's something too. That just if you're if you're like, wow, this is a great deal on this land or whatever, and you know, we we buy 500 acres of land, and then all of a sudden we we put up our rain barrels, and some dude comes and he's like, well, you can't do that, right? Yeah, that's yep. a problem. Yeah, and that also goes back to sort of the like building codes and things yeah. like that. Um, but this is, I think, this is where he he was talking a lot about things like um, your undeveloped land, which means that there's no water or electric hookups. Um, that is going to be a lot cheaper, but you need to be able to factor in the cost of installing a well, or you know, ha- are you going to build this thing with range rain catchment in mind? And you might be looking at the layout of the land as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because you want to, you almost want to kind of quickly in your head design where those beds are going to be to make sure that they're collecting water properly. And, um, yeah, so, so city water means you've got developed land and it's, the price is going to be a lot higher. So you need to know, and there's another point later down, I think, well, I don't know. Yes, there's a point later down because there's three sections here. So we're just in the opening right now. But the final section is on raw land. And there's a really good point related okay. to that. Um, so next, we've got defensible position, off-grid amenities, well and septic system, distance size of property, making it less likely that the community be absorbed to by a nearby city through zoning. Um, state choice and geographical location will be affected by this need. So that kind of is what we've been talking about this whole time. And when he says defensible, he doesn't mean roof Koreans. He means, um, like legally, like, well, legally, but also just like looking at the future and looking at the layout of the land and just understanding, like if I'm trying to get away from the city, make sure that it's not somewhere that's going to be turned into a suburb in a few years. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah. 
We'll just build a whole bunch of rooftops all over the property. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You need to, by defensible position, he also means don't pick a place that sets off your PTSD, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's maybe why I, I like to play Call of Duty. All right, uh, next up. What are the neighbors like? Are we directly next to a nosy Karen or Kyle? This can break a choice from being viable despite the geography. And then included in that is no HOAs. If a, if HOA must have constitution to prevent expansion of HOA power, 100% consensus rules. So this is my note, 100% consensus rules to add to the constitution. Oh, no, that's Jack Spierko's note. Um yeah, if there's a rule in the Constitution of the HOA that says you need everyone to agree to any rule, it makes it really, really, really hard to add rules. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's kind of a point in our favor because we're back to that 100%. Yeah, consensus, that, that, consensus I think it's that, again. I mean, that's, as I brought up multiple times, is kind of the way that Quakers operate. And it it is it is because it mm-hmm. kind of helps, it helps I mean, you are going to get people who are bitter about something like, I mean, if the, there was no air conditioning at our meeting house for years and some people were not happy mm-hmm. with that, but um, it does help not have a different type of butt hurt where people are like, well, we should have spent that money on something else kind of, and, and nobody can get railroaded either. So it's like the reverse yep. of railroading, whatever that is. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this is on to section two, which is just nice things to have. Uh, surface water, creeks, lakes, ponds, and stock tanks. Uh, so you definitely need to be looking at that and how that fits into your layout of your property. Outbuildings. Properties with outbuildings on it will often sell for less than cost of adding one to a property without. Steel frame buildings have longevity and will be useful while also not raising price if building is older. Okay. So, um, yeah, if the building is older, then the price has depreciated on it, but it's still a useful building. So you want to buy something that has like a garage or a workshop on it already, uh, as opposed to, well, and and this is up to, you know, what the prices are on building a new one and things like that. But Mm -hmm. especially too, that's a way to get bang for. Yeah. And also thinking about twos, if you're sufficiently rural, sometimes it's hard to get stuff out there unless you already know how to do the construction yourself or, Mm -hmm. or have people that, you know, how to do the construction with. Yeah. I'm also wondering if you buy like a, what would you call that? A a tin shed or something like if it costs more in shipping to get it out further. Yeah. So that's a good point. It might be one of those things where you just got to get it shipped to a specific place and then drive it out yourself. But also Mm -hmm. there's a cost to driving that yourself as well. I I think what, what do they say? It's 20 cents a mile or something is what they usually say. Uh, Oh, I, have no I think idea. that's what it is. Like depreciation on a vehicle is like twenty cents a mile or something, or fifteen cents a mile, something like that. Oh, gotcha. All right. Uh, so we'll get through these last couple here. So fenced property will sell for less than it will cost to add fencing. So same thing. Okay. Here. Um, roads properly installed. So if you've got driveways, uh, you want to make sure that they're good, that they're not, that they're properly drained, and that sort of thing. Uh, local resources, public lands, fishing, hunting, and towns and business nearby. We've been talking about that all day. Uh, and then internet availability, which I hear that those Verizon jetpacks really aren't as bad as they seem. We had, yeah, we so, used to have one of those when I worked uh, in a, at for a different company. We used to have those jetpacks, and mm-hmm. they're they're not bad. They're uh, they do have a a cap, 
and and then you have to uh-huh. pay for a high. This is actually this was several years ago, so it may have changed. But there is a a cap on the amount mm-hmm. of uh, data usage you can have, and then it bumps you down to like three G or whatever. And they also have right. they have good reception in places that have reception. So that's that's one right. Thing. Well, uh, the specific guy that I'm thinking of was that uh, I think I actually shared it here in the Discord server. Um, it was another episode interview that Jack did. Uh, the guy was off grid, but he had. I think he was up on a hill is what where his house was. And so he could see the cell tower from his house. So right where his house was got amazing reception and the jetpack worked great okay. for him. And obviously like the, I don't think the guy was a gamer, so it's not like he's running that thing up. Right. Um, but so that that's, that's all the nice things to have. Um, and I was just pointing out that the internet availability, yes, you, you want that, especially if you're a content creator or someone who works from yeah. home. Uh, but I, I do think that there are mobile options. So uh, the last point is with raw land here, uh, get written confirmation that what you want to do is legal. You may or may not be able to build a cabin to live in due to building codes, for example. So back to that. Uh, solar power for your home. So this is the point that I was saying relates to earlier. Mm-hmm. Solar power for your home has immediate 100% ROI. Example, two properties mostly identical, one developed, one not. Developed costs 70000 Undeveloped costs 30000 40,000 difference, but if solar is 20, you now have power on essentially the same property for 50,000 versus the 70,000 on the one that had the electric. Right, okay. okay. Uh, so that's 20,000 immediate ROI. So uh, that is something to look into. Um, something that I had thought about uh, personally was it, it would be interesting kind of going in the vein of that collective food forest idea is what if we, uh, you know, I I've been because I've been kind of in this idea of what if we do like a, a crowdsourced metery, uh kind of like how Whiskey Tribe has their crowdsourced distillery. Yeah. Um everybody pitches in and then we all sort of reap reap the benefits of that. Um in the case of solar, I was thinking just just to throw this idea out there, instead of you know trying to develop it with capacity in mind and then selling it to your neighbors, the maybe the first people that move in could build it with, you know, let's say double capacity for whatever, however many houses they have. And then you pitch in and all the people who pitched in to build that infrastructure, get it for free as long as that infrastructure is there. And then any additional people who move in after that would have to pay for the electrical. Yeah. That's actually, that's a good idea. That's, I mean, that's not, a, and that's a good way to, I mean, like, because the, there's going to be certain people when you're doing this that will be fine moving out somewhere and having very limited power available while while they're building that or while that's getting built. And then there are another seven, mm-hmm. like, I mean, my wife and I, for example, we both work from home. So if we're going to be still working from home, when we move out to a place, there's going to be certain things that need to be there by the time we get there, which would be, or by the time we're there permanently, there would need to be power, there mm-hmm. would need to be internet. And then beyond that, it, you know, we'd be able to figure it out. But um that would be kind of that's I think a good idea is that you could you could for those first movers is make that determination mm-hmm. and say, Hey, look, we we all need these things. Let's pool our resources together and we'll just hook up to, you know, Agora's uh building because he's gonna have the large a, a large slant roof that's angled correctly for power or whatever, and uh we'll just hook up to him until we start kind of building out our own. Uh and as the power 
demand increases, you may we may need to add it to our own places and stuff like that later. But I think it's a good idea though, is because it would also help reduce like if you were going to build your metery and then live upstairs on your metery, um, that might be a good way to do it. Is that it would help reduce your cost and it would make it so that power would be available to people when they come in. Yep. Yeah. So that's just something I've been thinking about and we can spitball that, but I'll go ahead and uh, complete this document here with some last points. So uh, at this point, after the raw land, Jack reiterates uh, that you want neighbors you can create community with. And then I put in their parentheses, go figure. Uh, Don't think too big right off the bat. So this is regarding um, what you're going to do to make money or just, I mean, whatever you're doing, uh, start with one thing, whether it's your garden, livestock, ponds, aqua- if you're going to do aquaponics, do that. If you're going to do raised beds, do that. Add one thing at a time once you're comfortable with what you have. A lot of the burnout uh, comes from people doing too much all at once. And when you start doing things wrong, all of a sudden you've got, you know, just even more uh, wasted costs that, that um you might be tempted to throw away when, when you're dealing with burnout. Yeah. So you just want to take it slow and, and go from there. Uh, so again, reiterating the longer we wait, the harder this becomes. And then uh, the final thing I wrote was that Jack even brings up the idea of getting ahead of the curve by forming an LLC with friends to purchase a large tract of land and divide it up afterwards. Well, that's not a bad idea. You know, Childerberg's already an LLC. <laughs> there you go. That's that's why I'm like we're already kind of doing these. Yeah, things. they're a good idea. I mean, that's my you know because Victoria and I have been talking about this for well over a year, and that was one of the reasons that I formed the Childerberg LLC. Was what? Well, a couple of reasons. One is I was worried that somebody would get hurt and get and then I'd get sued. Yes. And so I was like, well, they could just sue the LLC. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. the other reason was was this too is that like I like uh, once I learned about CeeLo and that they were an incorporated town as a company that Childerberg, because it has shares available, I can, you know, give those shares out to people. Um, I, I don't have to be the sole stockholder. Victoria right now holds one and I hold the rest. And then I can divvy out the rest legally. I think I can divvy out 10 right now. And um, right now it's just my wife and I have it. I have nine. She has one. Uh, I think I, I might've given one to car, but uh I have to go look. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't remember. It was over a year ago. But uh, right, I, Mason might have one actually. Maybe maybe it's Mason, not Car. I have to look. But um, yeah. But that that's a good idea. Is is yeah. Get incorporated early. Figure out the people who are serious. And and even mm-hmm. before incorporating, though, I think a good thing to do is make sure there's a consensus. Like, and this is something you mentioned earlier: a consensus on vision. Uh, or like a consensus on constitution from lack of a better way of saying um, where you, Mm -hmm. where you all kind of come to an agreement on a rough location, uh, a rough type of land, the type of activities that are going to be done on that land uh, for money. And so like, for example, um, you'll be doing the metery and I think that will be an attraction for other people. So what does Childeberg LLC need to do? They need to get a liquor license in whatever place we go to. That's one of the things that's got to, be done is that whatever licenses yep. need to be gotten so that you can sell your product. That's what Childeberg LLC needs to have so that when you get, when you get out to the land, we set up your ap- apiaries and your communal and our, you know, start getting the food forest planned out and all that kind of thing. Uh, you can get out there and start producing and selling at a profit as quickly as possible. Um, Cause I mean, obviously there's going to be upfront costs, but the whole, the crowdsourcing it mm-hmm. for, uh, and then also making sure that this is in the agreement that at a certain point, 
um, once costs are met or whatever, the full control of the metery or whatever is yours. It's not like that. It's not like Childerberg LLC is like, you know, new people join. They're like, well, I, I joined under the contingent that I would have part of a metery. And it's like, well, no, that's not how it works. This is Agora's. No, yeah, right. <laughs> this is Agora's metery and that's part of the contract. And it was just, you know, it's, yeah. it's, we're trying to get to cost or whatever. And then once cost is met, then it's like, okay, now, if now it's yours, you do whatever. And I mean, even before mm-hmm. that, it's, it's yours. Well, but- essentially what it would be is you're, like we talked about before, you're buying into a, uh, a club and the club gets you a discount right. right so i'm and i'm also thinking i'm probably going to run discounts for bitcoin okay that's a good idea and and the way oh okay this goes into our colored coin thing oh, so yes, yeah. don't let me forget okay. about that do not let me forget about that actually we're done with the buying land can i talk, yeah, about, talk about the color coin because that's i thought that was interesting okay colored yeah uh colored coin so this is how this works um essentially what they do is uh they have bitcoins that have a essentially a setting on that bitcoin that makes it known to the bisc network well it's actually it's it's not on the bitcoin so what it is is it they essentially uh bisc names various uh what are they called genesis transactions and they can be anywhere on well the way they do it is they collect the funds in bitcoin so originally it was 2.5 million dollars worth of bitcoin or or it was 2.5 Bitcoin. I can't okay. remember. One of the one of the two. But it, it's 2.5 something. Uh, what they did is they took that 2.5. They said, okay, this coin is now BISC coin. So uh, the BISC network is its own program. It it runs just like a Bitcoin node, but it runs with the Bitcoin with the BISC software instead of the Bitcoin software. Uh, so what it does is it recognizes all transactions from that Genesis transaction as uh, a BISC token on top of, like, it works as Bitcoin the entire time. You could spend it as Bitcoin. Uh, but the economics of it is that um, the developers are trying to generate value. And so the BISC coin on the BISC network mm-hmm. is higher value than whatever the Bitcoin is valued at at the moment. Okay. Oh, so so, so uh, I, can't, I think, let me, let me see if I can sort of summarize this and you okay. tell me if it's correct or not. The idea is okay. it's sort of like associating a, uh, a Satoshi or a Bitcoin that you already have with, well, I guess, I guess it would be a, a Bitcoin that those would all be colored, whatever to the Satoshi that make yeah. up that would be colored in a particular way. And the association is that mm-hmm. this is still a Bitcoin, but because it has this color on it, you can associate other properties to it as well. So for the for our yeah. purposes, it would be like if you spend these, you know, yellow Biscoin at Agora Brewing, you would get a certain percentage right. off of your mead. Well, so let's let's call it CTC, Childerberg Town okay. Coins. Uh, so if you spend Childerberg Town Coins, the price is different. And the reason for that is that Childerberg Town Coins, by necessity, in order to be useful at all, have to be higher priced than Bitcoin. Okay. So um, the Bitcoin obviously has its its price. And so that's if 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 Childerberg Town Coin ever goes to, you know, parity or less than Bitcoin, then you just sell it off as Bitcoin because you're going to get more out of it than you would as a Childerberg Town coin. But this is sort of like the, um, I, I'm not sure if, if it's a good argument uh, to bring up, but you know how they'll say like, how your imports and exports, if you're importing a lot, your 
you're sort of failing because you're bringing in all of this outside stuff. Yeah. Uh, but if you're exporting, you're producing, right? So it, it's kind of like that. If I if I have to sell off my money, then I'm importing, and at that point, then we the, we would recognize our township, Childerberg Town, as being at a loss. It would be in the red. Got, point, yeah. Right? So it'd be yeah, it'd be less less. It wouldn't be solvent. Yeah. Okay. Yes, solvent. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. So, um, what you can do in our case, because what BISC does is they uh, they take those coins and you can use them to to pay f- network fees on BISC. You can use them to um, to exchange directly for Bitcoin. Um, and all of the BISC basically is to go. It ends up in the hands of uh, the developers. But then it also circulates through the economy uh, with people who use BISC. And what that does is it kind of gives you voting weight. So like the amount of BISC you have is voting weight, but developers also get voting weight from their developments that they produce so that, you know, if I've sold off my BISC in order to pay my bills, uh, I still have voting rights because I am a BISC developer. I've done work within the last two years. Okay, that's interesting. So the way they do it is it, it, and it's based on the last two years. So it'll be like at, at one year you have half weight and at two years you lose that right. Uh, so within the last two years, you have voting rights based on that plus the amount of BISC you own. Hmm. So if you own one BISC, you get one BISC plus the one BISC worth of, so it's basically two BISC worth of voting rights. But if you sell off that BISC, you have one and whoever you sold it to has one. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and that's how they update the the BISC network, how they make changes, is, is it's that sort of uh, weighted democracy, which I, I'm okay with in that case because they're favoring developers. Right. Um, yeah, and that, that makes sense for what they're doing. In our case, what I was thinking is uh, we can do what's called time stamping, which is a type of colored coin where you're basically, you can signify that something happened. And with that timestamp, you could basically use it as a blockchain proof of membership. Okay. Um, and that would be like, if I own land, you could say, okay, you've got this Childerberg coin that uh, signifies, like it has a time, you, you have a timestamp that signifies your land ownership. And then the Childerberg town coin that you own is sort of like our in-house economy. Huh. Okay. Um. And, and the way that I'm thinking of it is really just that uh, rather than raising, not necessarily raising the value, but we could have like a posted discount rate for CTC as opposed to BTC. And so if someone's using CTC, that means they've invested in the community. That's why they have the CTC. Um, so when they spend it with us, we go, okay, we're favoring you. Maybe you get 15% off or something. We're going to favor you because we're ha- it, we have proof of prior interaction. And um, that obviously would happen more with people in the community. But if you have people outside the community who get this stuff, it's sort of a way to uh, almost run it like having a discount code. So if I have, you know, like the Legion of Skanks discount code for Blue Chew, yeah. right? So this is the CTC uh, payment network on top of Bitcoin. But the, um, uh, I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to think where I was, I don't know. It's, it, it's a little odd um, because, oh, what what can happen is if you spend that as Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network, um, it as opposed to through the program on BISC, 
you it loses that bisque coloration and therefore loses the value so if, if bisque is higher than bitcoin you want to spend it as bisque interesting um so which would actually encourage let's say people understand what this is it would encourage uh people to come back and spend it with us as opposed to elsewhere okay but does does but your the, transactions on bisque ever get committed even if you don't spend it on the regular bitcoin network does it ever get com- <clears throat> committed to the to bitcoin so that it's i think it does um i'd have to look at it more um but that's what i remember them talking about in the videos i watched is that you can burn the bisque because if you spend it as bitcoin that bisque that it's now outside of the consensus rules of bisque and therefore isn't recognized by bisque even though it's still bitcoin that's it this is actually a really Um, interesting concept that i need to look into this a little bit more too because it sounds yeah i mean even even aside from childerberg town it just sounds interesting like it's an interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way I, I like to think of it, like we have a bunch of twenty dollar bills, and we've marked them in the corner with like a little logo or something of ours. Yeah. And um, when we see that, we recognize it for what it is. But if I take it to the cashier at the store, they're just going to be, oh, somebody drew on my twenty dollar bill. It's still a twenty dollar right, bill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that that's as far as I can I can think of it right now. It, there's. That was a very good question you brought up. Well, that that would be my like I I as I'm sure people who have heard me on other shows uh, know I'm slightly uh, Bitcoin skeptical, Um, but Mm. uh, I I wouldn't say I'm Bitcoin skeptical. I think it's it's very interesting, but it's um, I'm I'm always concerned with anything where people are very gung ho about it. That always makes me very nervous. Oh yeah, (laughs) and uh, right and. Oh, don't don't worry. I I have a space reserved in the back of my head that this could all be an op. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, but from that being said, like I, I would still like to try all of the all of the things that people say can happen with Bitcoin in like a crypto community where, like like Childerberg Town, where it's like, well, this is proof of concept that this can work. Um. So, but anyways, but with that kind of in mind, that skeptical nature of mine, I'm, I and I'm going like, okay, so this is all being trade on their exchange if it's never committed i'm worried that somehow this is getting siphoned off right um i i do think it see i do think it runs like that it's just you have to use it within the BISC program and the the bitcoin transaction still happens from what i understand but that transaction gets recorded by the BISC. okay that makes sense as well and that's i think that's how it stays in consensus yeah because i think i think that and we should probably have Rollo on at some point to talk about this, but I think yes. that that's how oh, that'd be very uh, I good. think with lightning, because not every transaction is committed. Uh, it's all on the lightning network, which is basically a secondary layer. And so things are happening mm-hmm. there and then they get committed at a later date, just because if you're buying a Coke or maybe never, well, yeah, or maybe never, but if you're, if you're buying like a Coca-Cola, like bottle of Coke or whatever at the grocery store, like why would you commit that? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like right. it, Right. Well, a lot of this is is to avoid transaction fees. Right, right. So, it, I like to think of the Lightning Network like I'm. I have a bar tab open. Yeah. And they say if it's under ten dollars, we have to charge you. You know, we we won't let you use a credit card. Yeah. So I leave the tab open until I hit all the beers I need, and then I pay for right. it. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Each transaction so on on a for anybody who doesn't who hasn't ever done any sort of credit card stuff. Uh, Every if you charged every single time, 
the the person who's selling the drinks occurs a transaction fee on that for the credit yep. card. So that can yep. add up. That's why they leave the tab open so that it'll so they can charge you all at once and only pay the one fee. Yep. Yeah, because it it can outweigh their it can completely ruin their profit margins if they uh, do less than a certain amount and they all have that built into right. their uh, cost benefit. Yep. Yeah. Um. But okay. So then the the other thing with that is. Uh, that I'll say regarding Lightning Network is that, like, let's say I have a tab open and I have five dollars because I bought a beer, mm-hmm. um, and they want they need me to get to ten dollars. So in order to cash out, well, let's say you have a tab and you're at, uh, I don't know. Let's say I, I, it actually probably doesn't even matter, but let's say you've got a tab open. Um, and I owe you $5. Well, I could say, hey, take $5 off his tab and put it on mine. And that way, we're, you and I are even, but the tabs are still open. Yeah. And that's essentially what Lightning Network does. It, it leaves the tabs open and it just sort of, um, back of the napkin, calculates what everybody owes each other. And it's, it's a network just like Bitcoin is, which is cool. And it uses multi-signature addresses in order to secure that Bitcoin. So it's real Bitcoin and it's secure. Um, because it is using an actual Bitcoin function. It's not just, oh, the this this side network has knowledge of the Bitcoin network and it's, you know, doing this uh, tab, bar tab work on the side right. without touching the Bitcoin network at all. No, it touches the Bitcoin network. It's it's locked in. It's yeah, real. Yeah. Um, so that's something to, to note as well, is that a lot of people get very concerned about it. Like, wait, I'm giving up Bitcoin to get Bitcoin on the Lightning Network, and they think that they've lost their Bitcoin. And it's like, no, no, you, you're actually what you're doing is you're just finding a way to use it while avoiding having to pay fees for a cup of coffee. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, and that, so. and I think that makes sense. And I also think that just based on the type of people who would be attracted to a, an intentional community that people like us would start, um, mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to want to do transactions in Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. uh, and be paid in Bitcoin too. I mean, I, I, like you were saying, you'd offer a discount on mead if they paid in Bitcoin, and that makes sense because Bitcoin is well, usually it's gaining value. I think right now it's it's, uh, right, it's, it's yeah, value. it's right yeah. now it's a little bit. It has like a dip, but that's kind of irrelevant. But yeah, to me, it's just stabilizing out for yeah, for exactly a is all it is. But um, yeah, that's the way I look at it. And I think if if it's Childerberg Town coin, then that would be the way that I would I would do it personally because i think it's it's useful like i was saying it it sort of denotes that hey i've shopped with you guys before or at least this coin has been here before and it's like bringing in a coupon so um i i would want to do that because it forces people to go like hey this is more valuable if i spend it at childerberg town instead of taking that bitcoin and you know getting chinese food right exactly um yeah, so that's just one economic economic incentive. But I was thinking, you know, uh, you're you're the programmer here. Uh, so if if you do get to looking into this and you think there's something to it, that that would be interesting to see if that's uh, buildable uh, for the town. Yeah. Because the way BIS does it is they don't run it on Bitcoin; they run it looking at Bitcoin from afar. Yeah. So um, there are there are colored coins that actually put that string of data on the network itself on the Bitcoin right. network, and it increases uh, fees like crazy because those Bitcoins now are are tainted with extra data that increases um, 
the you know because you have to pay sats per byte so if you're increasing the file size right then you're increasing the cost of of mining that transaction so uh the ones that are really bad could all also just like not get added to the chain if if they continue to be an issue so you don't want to add to that problem and increase fees for everyone else it's it's a free rider problem yeah. so uh like i said it, what we want to do is is sharpie it up so that when we're looking at it we know what that is but the cashier doesn't care right yeah, and then and also kind of yeah. incentivize because this is one of those things that I actually uh, have talked about a little bit is that uh, as the world changes and assuming that you know energy doesn't become prohibitively expensive, uh, people will be able to run nodes on like their toaster, for example, like not maybe not a full mm-hmm. node, but they'd be able to uh, do a lot of this stuff decentralized. So decentralized more than it's already decentralized. And in such a way that you don't know that it's going on necessarily, or it doesn't, doesn't disrupt you. I mean, like if you're running on your desktop, you're running a, a Bitcoin node that can be, uh, expensive as far as the, the cost to your usability of the computer. But if it's running on something else or whatever, so we, well, basically what I'm saying, well, even then, I mean, a prune node yeah. will fully sync before you get it running, yeah. and then it'll drop down to where it's like only keeping the last two gigabytes of data. So it can actually be very uh, cost. Yeah, well, I, it, it can be, and uh, and I think that that's that's kind of one of the things I, I was thinking about a while ago. And other people are working on this already because they they get they can get mm-hmm. a, like a prune node to run on like wacky things, like just very, really basically very low cost items. But what I'm thinking more is yeah. with Bisque, and I'd have to look into more about how it works. But if this requires you to run a Bisque node, you wouldn't want to run one Bisque node. You'd want to incentivize people to run multiple nodes to keep track of this information, yeah. uh, since it's not being committed to the Bitcoin network. Um, right. So that's another thing yeah, it would definitely have to be like community wide. Like one of the one of the requirements is that you run this node. Yeah. Yeah. And then I mean, and it could uh-huh. and it could be something you don't, you probably don't even need to have knowledge of it. You could just have the dude, you know who is in charge of making sure everybody's nodes are running is you, some it, it shuts off somewhere and you go, Hey, um, the shut down off. And they're like, well, we don't even have computers in our house. And you're like, yeah, but it's like up on that pole right there. That's connected to the wire wireless yeah, or whatever. Right. Can I go up there and turn it back on <laughs> or whatever? Right. Just so that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think, uh, Car and Rollo both would have something to say about just trying to foment the culture of Bitcoin where it's like you're running that node and you know everything like that that you can check it and see that it's working and things like that. Um, because if someone's running a node custodially, it kind of defeats the purpose of running your own. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that I think that's a conversation that I would love to to have with them regarding this because that, that is a very interesting uh, way we could do things economically. Yeah, I mean, because my biggest... Uh... It wouldn't be a concern or whatever. I don't want to force anybody to run a node if they don't want to. That like that that kind of thing, right? Because like, it does have a cost, regardless of how much the cost is, and you know, costs yeah. are value subjective, as we as we all know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, some people may not want, may, they may not even really want to think about it. And and frankly, that's one of I think my biggest things with with Bitcoin is I really don't want to think that much about my money. Uh, and I, and that's kind of where Bitcoin's at right now. And it's not going to be that way forever, or at least I don't think it's going to be. I think at some point it is just going to be, this is just money. Like, I don't think about my dollars, although I know what's, I, I know probably more. <laughs> You're living yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I think, I mean, I, I am aware of what's going on with my dollars from like a, 
a fiat, like the government perspective of it. But like when I go to the, when I go mm-hmm. to the grocery store or something like that, like I'm not really, I'm not thinking about how to get my dollars out of my wallet into their cash register, like that kind of thing. And, right. and, and at this point, you know, with, with Bitcoin, it's yeah, a lot as easier. As far as that goes, it's improved yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot better yeah, than when, I mean, than 10 years ago when I first started hearing about it. And it was, and I, and mm-hmm. people are telling me about it back then. I should have bought it back then. Everybody's got their story like that. <laughs> Where like yeah. people, you know, people are right. telling you and you're just like, I don't, how, how do I buy stuff with this? And they're like, well, no, it's, it's going to be a store of value. You can buy stuff, but you know, there's not a lot available. Oh, you got to go into your tour browser and then you got to go over to this place called the Silk Road and then you can buy all the stuff there. And it's like, well, I just, it's just easier to go to eBay. Like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, right. like, unless there's right. like something specific you want to get, but that's, but yeah. And that's, what's cool about sort of being in the here and now is that you're seeing this progress, but kind of back to that same point is there's a lot of people who just don't want to think about it. They just don't, they, it's not, they're just not interested. You know, there's, there's a ton of libertarians who are not like, mm-hmm. um, actually wasn't, it was either malice or Dave Smith on Twitter had kind of like a big stink about it. Um, yeah, it was Dave Smith. Yeah. He he said something, and everyone was like, "Dude, just have a Bitcoiner on." And he was like, "Fine, yeah, recommend me someone." Yeah, well, <laughs> and I, and I think it's like it's people who he's a smart guy. He's you know he he cares about libertarian stuff, but mm-hmm. like it's just not what he's interested in. There's a lot of stuff that people are just right. just not interested in. It's not their their thing. He's good at comedy and bringing people into liberty movement through comedy, and like Rollo is pretty good at explaining, and and Car too are, are good at explaining, you know, advantages of Bitcoin. And, um, and so like everybody has their wheelhouse, yeah. especially if that's what they're interested in. And, and I understand the argument that a lot of people who are listening that are into Bitcoin will probably bring up is they'll be like, well, you should be into it. And it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of things people should be into and they're just not like, it just, there's, you know, right. It, they just don't. Well, and you know, you know me, I'm not a big fan of shoulds. Yeah. Either. Yeah. So if we need some variety in our lives. Right. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't know nearly uh, as much as I should, as I should know about it, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it is interesting to me. And like, and I've, I've read enough about it that I have kind of a general knowledge of what's going on. And then it, it changes very quickly too. So then, you know, your knowledge is a little bit outdated, but um, that I, I, I really like this idea of a, of some sort of token that incentivizes people to keep, spending money in Childeberg town, I guess that's because yeah, I mean, it makes, it makes sense. Like rather than, well, and I, I wonder if, and I mean, I guess this kind of goes into, do you want to talk about cloud nine for a second? Uh, Um, because this goes into their structure, which is that, uh, Oh, I, I just lost it. Um, you actually, you, you buy a membership, right? Exactly. So, um, which kind of relates to what I had said before about it being a club and not only there's, there's layers of membership. So you, you can have the membership of owning land on the property, or you could just be a member who visits, you know, maybe you get a, so many weekends a year that you can come to the cabin. Yeah, exactly. And I think you could, I think we could do it in such a way where like it's tiered. So depending on what level of involvement you want to be involved in, you can, you can be mm-hmm. that level or whatever, but I'll go ahead and read the little description mm-hmm. that cloud nine has on their Facebook page. Um, because it's pretty short uh-huh. and it's it's kind of interesting. It's just it's it's an advertisement and it's for people who uh, want to do the things that are at the Cloud Nine Ranch Club Inc. So it's uh, it says uh, Cloud Nine Ranch is uh, a member owned outdoor paradise. Cloud Nine Ranch encompasses ten square miles, six thousand five hundred acres of scenic beauty such as hills, meadows, thick forests, waterfalls, caves, and crystal clear streams. It is said 
uh, that there is not enough time in the day to enjoy all of the Cloud9 Ranch has to offer. Not only do we have six full-service campgrounds, but offer a truly unique experience for all outdoor enthusiasts. Once you pass through our front gate, you will realize that Cloud9 is much more than the camping the camping family would I skipped a line. You realize that Cloud9 is much more than the No, I didn't skip a line. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. Once you pass through the front <laughs> gate, you will realize that Cloud9 is much more than the camping family would ever expect. Much more than Oh, oh, okay. No, it does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Camping yeah, family. I get it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Cloud9 Ranch has successfully combined the beauty of the Ozark Hills with the convenience of resort-style amenities. Our uh, dedicated park rangers provide constant care, looking out for your safety. Uh, looking out for your safety. All you have to do is focus on having vacation fun. For 40 years, Cloud9 Ranch has been uh, exceeding expectations of what a camping resort should be while you are staying with us you can enjoy peace and quiet or exercise or yeah ex, or I'm sorry I lost my place again while you are staying with us you can enjoy peace and quiet or exciting themed weekends uh and I'm not going to read the rest of this there's there's still like a little bit more but basically just yeah, they seem very long. Yeah, yeah, on the website yeah. Too. <laughs> uh, Basically, what it is is so it's it's kind of a lot of the things that we were discussing, which is uh, it's got camping, hunting, uh, ATVs, uh, and and I think it actually says it here. Yeah, there's 150 miles of ATV trails. Uh, so and and their model is sort of like what you were talking about. You buy a membership, and then you have access to all these things. It's sort of like a timeshare in a way. Um, and I don't think it's for permanent residences, but it's uh, got a lot of things that people are interested in doing in that area. And it's a moneymaker. And that's kind of the way that mm-hmm. they designed it, which I think is yeah. interesting. From what I understand, you get so many days. It looks like 30 days a year that you are you can go out there to camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wanted to read something from their website okay. here uh, from the FAQ. Uh, and what I, I want you to notice is, well, I don't think you were up there during the distillery tour that we did, uh, but everyone walked away from that saying that this guy was a Childerberger. And when I read this, I, I want you to think that it, it almost makes me feel the same way. So uh, what does it mean to be a Cloud9 Ranch member? So this is one of the tabs. Cloud9 Ranch owners equally share individually deeded equity in the nearly 10 square miles of Ozark Mountain Hill Country. Included in the vast natural beauty are all the facilities of a truly one-of-a-kind camping and ATV resort. So it is a resort. Cloud9 Ranch is a fantastic alternative to public camping and crowded RV parks. Personal ownership brings a unique quality of pride to your recreational needs. Outdoor adventure loving families simply can't find or experience this environment any other place. In short, being a Cloud9 Ranch member allows you to be virtually or to virtually feel as though you own your very own ranch. Why? Because you do. Every or each member actually owns by deed a part of the ranch. Uh, let me see. There's another sentence here that I really liked. Um. Okay, so I'll I'll just read their last sentence in this little tab here. Uh, Freedom, family, and respect are sound and permanent values that bring together the pride of ownership in Cloud9 Ranch. Owners look forward to sharing the various aspects of Cloud9 Ranch with other co-owners, family, and friends for years to come. We look forward to the pleasure of meeting you and your family. Hope to see you at the ranch soon. 
Yeah, that does that does sound like a like a yeah. uh, burger kind of thing. They, they've named they've named their values. They've included ownership stake, and they get. You see yeah, what I'm exactly. saying? Like it, it's almost like what we're doing, but it's like a getaway as opposed to a, a, a living town, right? And kind of shout out to Jared for this because he recognized that. I don't I don't know if he's actually gone to it or not, but he recognized that that was sort mm-hmm. of along the lines of what we were talking about. On that night where we were all sitting around the fireplace at Childeberg Dost, mm-hmm. uh, he was like, hey, there's this place called Cloud9 that does this. And that sort of ownership stake and also it being attractive for people who don't necessarily want to live there year-round, I think is a good way to make it uh, what you were talking mm-hmm. about, where like our imports are not more than our exports kind of. So like it's – it's you have even if yep. somebody doesn't want to live there year-round – they can buy they can buy a stake in the camping portion or in the resort portion or whatever, and the people who and then also it kind of provides jobs too because they were saying that they have dedicated rangers that kind of go around and make sure everything's you know kosher and uh, not falling apart, and um, that way you know it can and then you can run other things too. I, I saw on their website they have like a shooting range, they have all those trails, they have um, uh, swimming places where you can go swimming. And, uh, mm-hmm. so those are all things that are different ways to attract people, even if they're not, even if they're not like permanent residents, like we were saying, they could, it gives, it gives mm-hmm. somebody a opportunity to come live the Childeberg life. Well, and, and this is what kind of, kind of fascinated me about it was that, so they're, they, they're doing the resort and then I'm thinking, okay, so if we did something like that, there'd also be a metery. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how is this different from Childerberg, the event as it is? I mean, we're going to a resort. We're hanging out at the campgrounds. We're taking a dip in the river. And then what do we do? We drive to a distillery and do a yeah, tour. Exactly. So it, this is exactly what we would do anyway. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's basically, it's, awesome. just, it's just, you know, putting, it's putting that experience into a permanent yep. location for a certain number of yep. people. And for the other people, just, it'll still be Childerberg every year, just like we've been doing. Yep. Exactly. Just a, just a huge tourist attraction. Yeah, I'm curious, and this is always what I you know, want to see, and I want to see this for CeeLo too. Actually, I could probably look up their tax records. I'll make a note to look up their tax records and see uh, if I can see how much money they make. Although if they're not a nonprofit, that I don't think is public, and they're probably not a nonprofit um, because it – Oh, they, all, they also oh, right. have, yeah, have horses. Just... That's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, horseback riding and yeah, everything. That that see so that yeah, this would be a lot of fun for people. I think even people who are um not really interested in the, you know, the the boozing and late night of Childeberg, they they would be interested in coming out with their family to go horseback riding or swimming or fishing or hunting whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Uh so yeah, definitely. So again, shout out to Jared for mentioning Cloud9. I'm putting it on my list of things to investigate to see if I can see how they run that. Because I think I think that's what's going to end up happening is it's going to be things that have and, and they've been around for a long time too, which is they've been around for forty years, which is a good indicator that uh, oh, yeah. it has some sort of longevity. And mm-hmm. uh, so, looking at things like this, like CeeLo, um, like that uh, that one um, sub development in Davis in California, like they've been around long enough that they are doing something right, and that that's something we can learn from and, and apply to uh, basically the, the model for an intentional community and make it available for people to try. If they don't want to live where Childeberg town is going to be, they can, that's kind of my, my ultimate goal for this is it's going to be a place where as the strong towns guy says, a good life and a prosperous place. That's what, that's what mm-hmm. I want. And um, yep. 
but if other people's pros- good life is not in my prosperous place, then uh, the model will be available for them to copy paste and apply to their own location. And yeah. I think that, uh, and I think was it wasn't it Pat was he was this when we recorded last that Pat had brought up that like even if we just have somewhere that we all go and hang out, like uh, if we own property that's sort of a bug out location. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember who brought it up. Yeah. it might have been Pat. It was it was Pat. I just don't know if he brought it up on the recording. Okay. Um, I don't know. But, if I remember. Yeah, so I won't say anything more about that just in case he didn't. But yeah, like I, I like the idea that people can can come out to visit basically and yeah and uh, and stay the night or or weekend or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you know, go bigfoot yeah. hunting or something. Yeah. Oh, that would be one of our attractions, dude. <laughs> that would be it would be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well by bigfoot hunting you mean actually hunting not just like looking for big bigfoot shaped cardboard cutouts for you to shoot i think i I've, I've, I've told this uh once or twice before that the reason that nobody finds a uh, bigfoot is because it's actually a ghost of a bigfoot and the Bigfoot's actually extinct, but the ghost is still around. And so that's why you never find any any traces of it. It's just the haunting. That would explain the interdimensionality. Right, <laughs> right exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a ghost. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. We, we got to have uh, we got to have uh, pause on to explain explain what's going on with Bigfoot. <laughs> Actually, we should, yeah, so that would be a good yeah. attraction. We got pause come down and, and do like a Wolfman hunt or something. Dude, seriously. That'd be a great Halloween attraction for You know what else I'm thinking of now? Because because we're bringing up all these people. If we had part of like one of our big things a year is that we have well, it's now Timeline Earth, but Timeline Earth live yeah. at the event. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And and then yeah. Get everybody to come out. There there's there's been a couple of podcasts where they do uh like I listened to this well, it's not a libertarian podcast, they but they've been on forever. The Tell Him Steve Dave show, uh, which is kind of like a, I think it's kind of like an offshoot of Kevin Smith's uh, Smodcast Network, and um, but it's two of the guys that he grew up with. But they did a tour a few years ago, and just did on their tour they just did live podcasts all the entire way. And it's almost like stand up, but it's because oh, yeah. it's very uh-huh. funny. It's a very funny show. Uh, and it's just then he the one guy doesn't like to do the tour, but the other the other dude is um well now he's got a that show on True TV Brian Quinn from uh, I can't remember, uh, Impractical Jokers so he was he was one of the hosts before he had that show and he still is the host but he and the other Brian on the show do a live podcast tour every once in a while called Space Monkeys and um, I mean it, it, it's really funny but sort of on that point is if you, if that would be a kind of a fun thing to have at Childeberg town is if you just have a, a stage for whatever and it but set it up in such a way that you could do a, a live timeline or if, if they wanted to do it or other live podcasts that wanted to come and do a tour or just do some sort of event like that or com- or comedy or music or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know uh, Robbie the fire does the same thing now too. He, he does a porch tour all around New York yeah. and wherever up there and, and basically just hanging out with other podcaster friends and, and recording on yeah. their porch. Well, and so, as of as of now, he'll be at Childeberg 3. So, oh, I'm so uh, looking forward and, to that. Yeah, and he'll do fun. some stand-up there too. So maybe at Childeberg 5 or 6, when we're actually at the Childeberg town location, he'll uh, he'll be, use, be one of the early people to use our stage. 
Oh man. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it. We'll put it oh, the meadery so that people okay. will also buy uh, your mead while they're right. There. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me I, I just need to copy the layout with the nice porch and the. That, I mean, it was a really good layout, <laughs> and, it, and it, it's, it's yeah, tight. it was smart. And I don't think, and it was steel buildings. I don't think the buildings are that expensive. So. No, they just have really nice, like, outdoor scenery yeah. in front of the barn that holds all of their whiskey. Exactly, so, yeah. like, that's exactly what we'd be doing. Um, okay, so uh, do where do we want to go from here? I've got my next one up, but I, if you have another uh, thing... We can no, let's go, let's go, yeah, let's go, go to your next one. Okay, uh, this would be the Freedom Cells Network. So, uh, what's your... I guess, uh, what's... Do you have anything you want to say about the Freedom Cell yeah. Network in general. I, ha- I have not uh, had a chance to go to the one here, but I am on their uh, thing. So it's uh, John. Is it John? John Bush. Bush. Yeah, that's right. Uh, who's yeah. the the uh, kratom guy? He does uh, Brave Botanicals, mm-hmm. and I've actually ordered some of his kratom too, which is interesting. I, I'm not I'm not a huge kratom fan that I've discovered because I tried it and I was like, yeah, this is interesting. It feels interesting, but like not really for me. But um, Okay. Uh, but it, from my understanding, it works for a lot of people, uh, and you can get it from him. He does, I think, a free ounce, uh, and you could pay, and you can pay yeah. with Bitcoin too, which is nice. And yeah. um, so, if anybody's looking, you can go over to Brave Botanicals and get a free ounce of kratom from him. And if it, you know, it works, it works for all different things. Yeah, I, I read the descriptions and and see uh, what people report because that's the way that it's always phrased on there. Is Anyway, you know, I'm 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 droning on about something that's not related. But anyways, <laughs> right. so he started this. Right, John Bush also. Did yeah, this. so he also did this, and he he's also on uh, Unloose the Goose a lot, and um, mm-hmm. which is uh, your boy uh, Jack Spirko. Jack uh was the instigator of it, but it is a collectively owned podcast, yeah. and uh, they all trade off. I think things. he does. Doesn't uh, he do the theme song for it? Isn't that him singing? I no, that's Jack singing. Yeah, yeah. that's Jack Spirko. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. what I thought. Okay. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yep. so there's the Greater Freedom Cell work, uh, Network, and you can go over, I think it's just freedomcell.com, um, and you can join it. And so I'm in the DFW Freedom Cell Network, and then mm-hmm. I haven't, we haven't started a smaller network yet, but they, they're, I guess their idea is that you keep this to small groups with some sort of goal in mind, and then you, and then it's, you know, there's like higher levels of it, sort of like a like a communist cell sort of things where like each cell is individual. So if one cell is compromised, it's not <laughs> compromising the others. Right. Um, well, it's, it's actually based on uh, the moon is the harsh mistress. So yeah. you've got, you've got the cells that are all connected to each other and they can interact with, they all in our, in the case of freedom cells, they all kind of do their own thing, but we all as part of the freedom cell network kind of have this collective goal of just, you know, being free. So yeah. Uh, yeah, what, what the individual groups are is there are eight man groups, give or take uh, up to you, uh, personal preference and so forth. But, uh, eight, eight people is, I guess there were some studies that he references where they say like, this is good for maximizing creativity without getting too unruly. Um, and then those are called the inner cadre and cadre comes from alongside night by Daniel Schulman, which is the, the modern mood is the harsh mistress, but for, like the collapse of America. Right. Uh, so you have the inner cadre, uh, which is you and your close friends and family, the people who are homesteading together and, and really participating in this. So Childerberg Town would be an inter- inner cadre, or at least the people who live on property. That would be a cadre. Right. 
then you've got the middle cadre, and eventually you could have grand cadres. But uh, what I've been noticing is that the so you have a middle cadre where all these inner cadres can sort of connect. Um, and what I'm finding is that these, you know, for example, the DFW area cadre, or in my case, the Kansas City cadre, is very uh, geologically dispersed. It's very spread out. And uh, what's happening is people get on there and it's like, well, we should all hang out sometime. But, you know, you're we've got people from the middle of Missouri who Kansas City is close to people from uh, all over northeast Kansas. And then I'm even further away. And I'm like, OK, I, I'm down for meeting up. But I think uh, what we need to recognize is that what we're building here is the middle cadre. And it's fine if it starts that way. But y'all need to be breaking up into smaller right. groups. And and not necessarily doing everything on what I'm calling the the public channels, the middle cadre public channels. Um, so if you, if you think of it like kind of like a, a your ham radio, I really like the ham radio episode that Carr did with Pat on Uncensored Tactical. Yeah. Uh, they were talking about how um, you you have a channel where you get on. And you find your person, and then you say, "Okay, you and I, we're going to go to this other channel so that we can talk without hogging the main channel that everybody's trying to ping each other from." And uh, so this this is kind of why I, I've been getting frustrated with Telegram is that it's one giant group text, yeah. and we all know how annoying that gets if you're on a group text with your family and extended family, and it you know no one eventually you get so annoyed that you never look at it, right? Um, just people posting all kinds of things like it's Facebook, but it's a, it's a text message that, you know, sets your phone off every time it comes in. Uh, so that's kind of how telegram is. And the reason people want to use telegram is because it's supposedly encrypted, uh, rumors notwithstanding, and I won't bring that up here. Uh, but because it is this sort of single mass group text, I have ideas of how we need to really restructure this. And a lot of this came from, my experience with the secret discord server here, uh, the way we've got our channels organized and the way we've sort of customized it to the group. I think we can do this with a wider homesteading centric freedom cell middle cadre. So um, I actually have built a discord server for the Kansas city cadre and you can find me on the freedom cell network. I am Agora brewing there as well. Um, so we're just we're just trying to get some things started, but I'm because I'm in the middle of the country. There's a lot less people here that are interested in this than I'm than you're going to find on the coast. Yeah. Uh, but so I have a, an entire white paper built up that is for now. I have three full pages that are defining problems and naming solutions. So part part of the idea is just to define you know, define problems. And I think with these definitions, then we can go forward and say, okay, so how do we want to actually build this thing? Um, so I've, I've named it com structure and OPSEC across freedom cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll read the opening paragraph and then I'll just kind of, I, some of these are self-explanatory, so I won't read the definitions for them, but I want to get into the solutions. Okay. Um, okay, so the purpose of this document is to dispel bad habits such as Fed posting and spam and to promote and develop best practices regarding the development of the inner cadre in juxtaposition to the middle cadre. The format will be pairs of bodies titled Problems and Solutions. 
As we go along, various solutions should tie together to provide a wider view of the ecosystem known as the Freedom Cell Network. So uh, the first problem I have is uh, two-part uh, feds and lurkers, which goes back to the Fed posting. And, and uh, also, so you know what, we all know what feds are. Um, I can define fed posting if you think that's a, a term that needs to be yeah, defined. Uh, go for it, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how okay. many people are going to listen, but uh, right. go for it anyways, just for posterity. Yeah, just for the... Because it is internet culture, but I want to I want to say this one because it's a relatively new term. Um, Fed posting is when you say things. Well, essentially, it's like using the word bomb on the telephone and then going, oops, I'm probably on an NSA watch list now because I said bomb on the telephone. Yeah, I see. So if I go on someone's podcast that has a lot of listenership and I start saying things like, yeah, here's how we radicalize people and overthrow the government. And this is why Aaron apologizes to Pete all the time on Freeman Beyond the Wall for Fed posting on his show. (laughs) And that's what Fed posting is. It's it's doing things that attract attention from the government. Okay. Yeah. Um and then everyone knows that's actually a really good kind of throwback to something we discussed in I think one and two of this is that from the perspective of the town, the mm-hmm. town should not yes. be doing things that attracts the ire of the county, the city, the state, the feds, anything like that. It, I mean, it's a free place, but there, you know, don't go out of your way to cause problems. Exactly. Like I said, um, you've got the front room of the bar and the back room of the right. Of exactly. The bar. Um, and this is the way. This is the way I like to look at at it. So. I have my my homestead and the people who come over and maybe we're talking about stuff while we're while we're messing around in the garden. But some of those things we talk about might not be things that we talk about when we're grabbing a beer at out. Right. Exactly. OK, so that's exactly. And this leads into exactly the problem of feds. So uh, and this also refers to. Well, I'll, I'll read this because it's okay. relevant. Uh, even deterrence dispensed the 3D printing gun community who uses Keybase. They know of active feds in that group. You know why? Because it's a public server. Right. Same thing with any of these middle cadre situations. They are public. So that would be the front of the bar. So um, we all know what fed posting is. Uh, lurkers, I think we all know what lurkers are, but basically it's people who read the chat but don't really participate. Yeah. Like in, in, the, in the DFW so, yeah. one, I'm definitely a lurker because it's too, it's too chaotic right. for me to participate. There's just too many people. Right. And it, I'm guessing it's on Telegram yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I, I, I'm yeah. Not, I'm not a fan. <laughs> and, that, and this is right. And this is why I advocate using something like Discord because you have the multiple channels where if pe- two people are having a conversation at the same time, hey, we've got this channel for this topic. Why don't you go there and talk so that the general doesn't get clocked, clogged right. up? So that the people who are talking about whatever can can converse without it, you know, mul- trying to sift through multiple conversations. Um, and this is one of the benefits of discord is that, uh, it's a, it's a, it is a public server, but like, you know, even Keybase is public. So like you're sacrificing supposed encryption, but the thing is, if it's public encryption is not helping you anyways, because you've got feds actively in the, in the chat yeah, exactly. lurking like, like the rest of the lurkers. Um, but I will expand the definition of lurker, not just to people who don't post, but also people who aren't making that aren't aren't participating in the community who aren't you know maybe they're interested in what's going on but they haven't gone and actually visited a homestead they haven't showed up to the barter meetups right so that's that's kind of what we're talking about here 
Um, so the solution that I have written for those two uh, specifically at this moment is delineate private and public sectors. The difference between an inner cadre and a middle cadre can easily be seen as analogous to the difference between a private and public chat or between a club and an open bar. It should be clear to all members of a given cadre that certain information should be kept to lines of communication dedicated for use by trusted members of that cadre, i.e. group text messaging, private telegram groups, group calendars and inventories, etc., while the larger lines of the middle cadre be left open for things like event planning, business listings, announcements, and more. Or, you know, if we're all just sitting in general having a good time and and drinking a beer or sitting at the computer, whatever. Um, So... Uh, that would be, yeah, I, I've explained that well enough. Um, the next thing I have is for a problem is spam, uh, which goes into what I've already talked about. Um, I basically just list all of the benefits of discord and how that deals with spam, uh, which I think everyone listening to this is going to understand that pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Um, there, there's a few, there's a few nice things about it. I can mute individual channels. So if I'm not interested in, um, brewing i can mute the brewing channel and just come in and visit the homesteading channel you know that that sort of thing or i can mute the the channel that everyone's drinking and having a good time in because i don't want all of those notifications going off um okay so yeah oh plus discord includes voice and video whereas telegram is literally just a text chat so there's there's your options. Um, oh, right now I will suggest that you get a Proton Mail account and pay for it because you don't get the encryption on Proton Mail if you don't pay for it. But it also comes with a VPN. So uh, those are your options for for um, encryption if you are going to use it that way. But again, um, use those for individual conversations. I think. Yeah. Or for your for your inner cadre uh, more than yeah, anything. Yeah, I, I think that that's kind of at least in the DFW area is that the inner cadres are, are still needing to be formed because of exactly. Yeah. I mean, there, there is the middle one, the DFW one, but it's huge. And also there, is, there needs to be a degree of uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, a degree of separation. Between, well, it's, it, it's that um, it's also a degree of common interest. So like in one of the conversations that happens occasionally on the DFW one is about homeschool. And and I was homeschooled, mm-hmm. and I'm very interested in homeschool. I have no kids though, so I don't really have any contribution right. to be made to that. Um, I mean, if if I had a particular knowledge that they wanted me to come like teach six kids about or something like that, like fine, that I would be more than happy to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as like trying to plan, you know, a, a trip to the museum or some sort of you know outdoor activity or something like that for kids, like I'm not particularly interested in seeing that. And also I would not be interested in being in that cadre. I'd be more interested in being part of like, you know, a barter cadre or a cadre that was interested in pool cleaning or something, <laughs> something like that. Right. Like, yeah. you know, or, or, you know, yeah. like helping your friends with projects. Yeah, exactly. Like things, things like that. Um, that's one thing that I've offered uh, since I've joined and, and been talking to these guys is like, Hey, first thing we need to do is we all need to hang out and have a beer. The next thing we need to do after that is say, you know, Hey, I've got this thing. Cause several, it turns out that several of the people that I'm in contact with do own land and they are gardening and things like that. And I'm like, okay, yep. If you're looking to expand anything or to add structure or whatever, like I will drive up there and help. You know why? Because there's also a really good disc golf course up there that I haven't played in a, over a year now. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and so I can come up with great reasons to drive all the way to Kansas City and 
and hang out with people of like mind and things like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, the common interest is, um, is a big, a big driver. I mean, you know, speaking of driving, yeah. I, like I drove nine hours out to the Marfa area in Texas just to plant yeah. grapes and, and just some guy that I saw online that needed help planting grapes. I did. I, he's not even a libertarian or anything. He, like I, we don't have very much in common other than wine. Uh-huh. And, um, but there's a lot of people who are interested in that kind of thing. Like I would, I would go help somebody till up their garden. I would go help if somebody had like a concrete slab they needed to get torn out or something like that. I've got a little jackhammer. I can come and help do that. Um, you know, those types of things would be, well, I, I don't know if that would, like you wouldn't form a cadre around like tearing out concrete, but you might form one that was like a community interest in gardening. You know, something yeah. like that would be more. Yeah. And that's why that's, that's one of the things that I've been looking into this website called calendar.com. Very simple. Yeah. Uh, but you can do collective calendars kind of like, kind of like Google, uh, but it's its own website, which I like, cause I'm trying to get off Google. Uh, but I, I want to create a community calendar that has like these public events. Like if someone has something that they want more people to come to and they're okay with having it as a public event, I can say, okay, here's the thing that's happening this Saturday. Feel free to check that out. Here's where it is here. Here's who you can contact for the information. Um, you know, if there's going to be a big workshop on somebody's homestead, then I want to be able to say, Hey, go to this calendar and check out what's going on this month. Be involved. Right. 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 Rather than it being like herding cats. Yeah. So yeah. Which, and that's, um, and that's, that's a really good point too about herding cats is cause I, I have my experience with organization and uh, when I ran the libertarian, the young libertarian party in Virginia beach, and then even here, like, um, and I, and I've stopped doing this since, I mean, way before I moved to Texas, uh, I stopped being like, well, what works for everybody? Cause that, that doesn't right. work making a plan. You just have to say, this is what we're doing, or this is what I'm doing at this time. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see everybody. If you can't make it next time. And there's been more than one occasion where it was, especially in Virginia, where it was just Mason and me showing up for like months on end. Like it was just, yeah. Wow. And, but it would, but it was always, I mean, I, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it was always the same I, thing. So. Yeah. I, I do, however, believe in the idea that if you build it, they will yeah. come. And when you have a close knit community, they will come as we've seen with the amount of late night shenanigans in the voice chats. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. one person shows up, then somebody gets on to chat and then the next thing you know, you've got eight people and Jared ranting about his job. So <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to expand that into meat space. That's what we're doing here. I love the template that Melissa, the elf has created for us. Yeah. Here. It's great. Like I, it's unbelievable. Um, okay, so the next problem is a lack of freedomcells.org membership. Due to the dispersed geographical nature of the current membership in our area, it is hard to build up. The members required to split into eight-man cells. Even in a situation where there are, say, 24 people participating in the middle cadre, it could likely still be difficult to call that three different inner cadres due to the distance. So, you know, you get so spread out that even if you split that into three groups of eight, those groups of eight may still have trouble really considering themselves a, a community. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. And I think that's kind of why it needs to be uh, based mm-hmm. around some sort of common interest. And, and one thing too, that's, that's very helpful for people who are trying to organize these types of things is, uh, and this is, this is where you can ask at first what works best for people, but making sure that it's the same meetup every month at the same time at the same location. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. that really helps because if people can't make it this month and, and you know, COVID's kind of thrown a wrench into this for our DFW, not, not our DFW freedom cell, but our DFW just meetup group that we were doing. Um, we used to meet at uh turning point brewery and uh, at, like the, I think it was actually, it might've been the same as what we're doing this chat on because I do tend to pick Wednesdays a lot. Uh, I, I like, I like breaking the week up by putting a thing on Wednesday evening. And, um, and now I feel that. Yeah, so um, I think we might have. Well, you know, if Dick gets on, he'll he'll know which one uh, or we which what day I chose. Maybe I did choose Friday because people were drinking. I don't remember, but anyways, um, we yeah. would meet up at at that brewery every month, uh, roughly the same time and the same day of the week, uh, with a few exceptions. I mean, we did change things up a little bit, but and now Victoria wants to start it back up again, but she doesn't want to meet at the brewery because she doesn't drink. So we're thinking about moving it to the pizza place um, kind of nearby here. So uh, actually I should, I should make a note to start that back up. But anyways, that's a, that's a, a good yeah. point though, is to make sure that it's, it's accessible and also that people know when and where it's going to be and that they don't have to continually check the calendar. Um, and then if, if something does change, you can make the announcement or, you know, with Mason and I, when we used to run the young libertarians, if if he missed one, he would maybe check on the next one and be like, "Hey, is that are we doing it again? I didn't hear any of the announcements or anything at the last one." And I, you know, we. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So before I read the solution, I, I do also want to point out that I really like that you brought up uh, the shared interest as well. So you've got geographical location, but shared yeah. interest overlaps with that and makes this even more difficult. So we need to be very uh, conscious of that. And, uh, but this will also go into the solution that I will go into now. So you'll be interested with this one because I don't think most people expect it, but the title is bring in outsiders. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by outsiders in this case are families and friends who would otherwise be open to participating in homesteading and barter type activities, but maybe uninitiated into wider prepping or libertarian communities. Mm -hmm. Their initiation is unnecessary, as we will see later. For now, what should be noted is that it may be best practice to maintain a large majority of your inner cadre with those who are explicitly engaged in the building of community for the purpose of resistance to the crumbling society around us, and to keep the outsiders in the loop only insofar as the in-person meetups are concerned. Mm For example, it may not be necessary to invite your brother-in-law to join the Discord server of the middle cadre, but he may be great to have around when you are installing raised beds or diagnosing a problem with your vehicle. So, assuming you start an inner cadre with the intent of filling it to eight people, use your best judgment and consider your personal circumstances and how you might be able to fill it first with middle cadre members up to five or six, then fill the remaining two with friends or family members. That is my personal feeling, but I leave it to you to determine what works. Uh, yeah. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah. So when I used to run the, the libertarian meeting in Virginia beach, uh, we did do other activities besides just, you know, drinking, which, well, mostly we just drank, but, <laughs> uh, but one of the things that it, it was open for people to bring guests that were interested, um, we would get very interesting characters coming in. Cause a lot of times it was just weird people. It wasn't necessarily people interested in Liberty stuff at all. Um, which was fine. Like they're, they're fun and that's a good time and stuff like that. But it is, you're right. It's, it's trying to bring people in that have some sort of common interest, but they may not be fully interested in, in what you were saying, like the revolution kind of thing. Um, right. Or, or well, not even the revolution, I posted like a survival, picture, you know, 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and I posted a picture uh, the other day while I was thinking about this because my brain was on fire. But um, so you have these circles and each circle is its own cadre, but then there's overlaps in the circles like these Venn diagrams. Oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. And then I I put individual dots outside of the circles and then made that circle overlap with some of the circles. Right. And so the idea was, yeah, that's that's exactly even, how GraphDB works. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, but even at uh, these outsiders, uh, normies, like we call them, uh, maybe they're interested in bushcraft. So you hang out and you bushcraft, but maybe they're not interested in, I don't know, firearms. Yeah. So you don't bring that person in and say, we have to do all the things together, right? So you can have a homestead or, or I'm sorry, like a homeschool group where half of the homeschool group aren't homesteaders. Yeah. And that's like, we need to keep this very open as bird would say, rhizomatic thinking about this. Cause I think that that really helps to, to get you thinking about, well, I, I don't need to be in this box. I can include people who aren't in the box because there is no box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it. So that's and just to make this a uh, obnoxious technical thing because I talk about GraphDB all the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this yeah. is this is how what in GraphDB nodes are defined by their relation to other nodes. So um, mm-hmm. whereas like the Agora Brewing node may the relationship to the you know Childerberg Jake node is like. Agora Brewing attends Childeberg Jake's event. Well, I guess that would be your relation to Childeberg, which would be a separate node. But like your relation to me is friend and my relation to you is friend, but we could have other relations as well. Like your relation to me is not customer, but my relation to you is customer because I buy mead from mm-hmm. you. So like, so in, in kind of this idea, what you're talking about is you may have a guy who inside this inner cadre, all of the relations are, that they're in the same cadre, but then you could have an external node that the relation to that cadre is interested in bushcraft and, and you may have no other relations and that's fine. Uh, and so like what you were, so what you were showing was like, so let's say um, we'll use, we'll use uh, the example of my old libertarian meetups. Okay. So everybody went to the meetups. We were members of that Liberty meetup. And so our relationships to each other were, you know, uh, people who go to this meetup. That's that's how we were related to each other. And then we people would bring other people. And a lot of times, the relationship to them was not liberty. The relationship to us in the group was they wanted to score weed. That, <laughs> yeah, that was a okay. super common thing. So they would come in. That was what their relation to us was at that point. But when they come in looking for weed, they also form other relations. Exactly. Well, and uh, this also reminds me of the fall camping trip that we did with Peaceful Treason. Yeah. Um, I believe it was, was a Jared's family that was out there. Uh, some family members were with him. And so, and you, you see this when you get a large group together, the people with those other relations will stick together. And so those family members were hanging out. And then I was mostly kind of bouncing between you, Carr and Jared, because you're the three that I, and, uh, and, uh, Joe as well, because you're the ones that I'd hung out with before. Right. Right. And so but we're all connected by the fall camping. Trip. Yeah, exactly. So, right. And I had a great time meeting all of them and, and sharing uh, some of my produce with them. And yeah, I, it's, it was fantastic. So yeah, it's a, this is a very positive thing where we're trying not to put people in boxes. We're, we're all human beings here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. that, and that's, uh, I think that's um, a really good way to look at it. And that's, I mean, cause it organizes, it organizes 
data in a flexible way. At, well, at, speaking of people being data, and this is the way I think about them because this is the type of work I do, but uh, people being data points or nodes, uh, and it does it organizes them in a way that's flexible and doesn't take up a huge amount of space necessarily. And also, uh, mm-hmm. well, the flexibility kind of is is the defining feature is like you were saying, you may have like a, a normie boomer or whatever who is interested in gardening. And why would you not allow them to come help you build your race bed? Like just be right. Yeah. Exactly. If they're willing to come help, then I'm all down for it. I mean, that's free labor and you make yeah, it. Exactly. Friend, yeah. And, right? and, and, it, and it may turn yeah. into something else too, which is great, but it, you know, Right. And they may in the process get exposed to the idea, which is the thing that, you know, everybody's always like, oh, we got to get more people, get more yeah. people. Well, this is how you do it. You build rapport. Right. Yeah. Right. You don't, you don't proselytize on TV or on the debate stage. You build rapport. Yeah. Well, and this is, you know, Malice yeah. actually has brought this up a bunch of times. Uh, I think actually Dave brings up the same point too, where they like, you know, back in the eighties and stuff like that, uh, like gay people were this like, this thing like oh gross you know it's it's so, so bizarre and, and disgusting and all that sort of stuff but then once you find out that oh well joe down the street who helped me put up my christmas lights and wake up my leaves is a gay guy well then it kind of puts a human a human huh? face on it a little bit and you're like oh well he's not bad yeah exactly. and you may you may exactly. think that lifestyle is still bad but at least you know that person is is not bad and then you're reluctant to pass mm-hmm. laws or do something that is against this group or whatever so in the case of you well, know and- Boomer Joe or whatever that wants to come over and help you build your raised bed, once you've spent time together, and then he finds out you know you're also into 3D printing weapons or whatever, he may be like, well, he's mm-hmm. not going to use his 3D printed weapons to hurt me. Why would I want right. laws against that kind of? Or he'd be like, oh wait, maybe those actually work. Can you show me it working? Oh, can I shoot yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, or, you know, and and going back to the 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 gay people thing. That goes back to the public and private, right? So you're only giving up information that's necessary. And so you may not know that your neighbor is gay until you just happen to find out when it's relevant to the conversation. And so your private life is private. And that's what that's as far as the whole LGBT thing goes. Like, I think that's something that people really need to keep in mind is that it's it, that is private and we don't need to be, you know, making laws telling people what they can and can't do in their private yeah, life. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, okay, I'll go ahead and move on to the next point because this one is the one that ties back in. Okay. Uh, So the problem is optics to outsiders. Quote, my friends and family are the ones helping me with my homestead, but some of them may be spooked by the idea of a freedom cell because it sounds revolutionary. Okay. (laughs) Solution. Information security. Realize that there are a lot of things about what we're doing that don't necessarily need to be volunteered. As stated, you may have a member of your inner cadre that doesn't know what a cadre is. That's okay. Think of the Freedom Cell site and the Discord server as a communication hub for people to get together. As far as your normie friends need to know, you just happen to know a guy who owns a farm an hour away and you invited them to come help clear brush and attend a bonfire. Nothing untowards happening there. This feeds into the next problem, which you've already heard me mention in prior conversation. Uh, I think I mentioned this on the community episode. So the problem is the optics of names. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of, oh, and this goes back into my whole idea about Fed posting. Okay, yeah. Okay, so some of us are very gung-ho about liberty, agorism, and general resistance. That's okay. In fact, I've often argued that the more direct and explicit we are, the better, especially in terms of longevity. 
Here's where this goes wrong, though. Fed posting in a public chat room with links to a website that uses agorism in the name, which is supposed to be a place for people like us to do business tax-free, is a great way to get a whole lot of people audited, fined, and imprisoned. Okay, solution, more information security. Refer to the above section on information security, then think about the common argument agorists make using garage sales as an example. Most people don't pay taxes on their garage sale and would never think of doing so. The key here is that they call it a garage sale and there is no underlying air of revolutionary practice happening. They simply don't see their sale as anyone else's business. So let's keep it that way. Rather than calling your inner cadre Freedom Fighters and Bootleggers, Inc., Call it something like Wyco Homesteading Club. Wyco is a county up in Kansas City. Uh, uh, Make a real effort to have a personal relationship with a majority of the members and to learn their names and build that community. Shake someone's hand and having a beer with them is a great way to weed out feds and tattletales alike. Again, don't spill the beans all at once on the first meeting. If you're hanging out at a bar, realize that it's a public place and anyone walking by can catch a bit of conversation. The same goes for all public communication lines. And you can see that we're circling back around to some of the first things brought up in this paper. Uh, And then I'll add to the not spilling the beans all at once. This goes back to building rapport. So if you bring in a family member... Let these things come out over time. Maybe you've you've just got done helping somebody build some raised beds in his backyard, and you're all sitting around the the fireplace in the backyard having a beer, and things come out in conversation. That's when you want that to happen. Don't give him a pamphlet that says we're this revolu- revolutionary agorist group. Uh, to reference alongside night again, the revolutionary agorist cadre. Uh, don't hand him a pamphlet with all this stuff about the Fed and agorism before he comes and helps you because you haven't built that rapport yeah. yet. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, and that's that's the end of the paper right there. Uh, still going, uh, but I think this is a great start to just getting in the mindset of interpersonal relationships and how to separate the inner cadre and the middle cadre. Yeah, I think that's a good, a very good point that you brought up in that uh, with information security being more than just your, you know, your digital information is that when, you know, I work, I work mm-hmm. with normies of course. And I think probably most of the people listening to this work with mostly normies and things do come up. I mean, they all know I'm an anarchist, but uh, we don't right. talk a lot about it. Um, but that sort of if on day one I had come in and been like, you know, right. I want to be paid in Bitcoin and you guys have to do this and like, you know, or like weird things like that. Or like, have you ever seen a 3D printed yeah. gun before? I got one right here or something, you know, like right. that kind of stuff is weird. And <laughs> mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, well, speaking of. Uh, that was a that was a thing that Jack Spearco had said. You can get paid as contractor with your employer and make it corporate to corporate billing to avoid yeah, taxes, right? right? You want to work there for a while and be good in good with your bosses before you go making that proposal, because otherwise they're going to tell you to fuck yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. Because they don't they don't want they, they also <laughs> don't want to get audited, and so they like that's people. They, yeah, everybody's got kind of a um, and they're not going to make special exceptions for someone that they don't have experience right. with. And, and uh, and you know, people. I, I would say the majority of people that I interact with on a personal level are already kind of down our road, anyways. But on just on an everyday level, just from my own experience in in life doing political organization type stuff, is even when I worked on the first Gary Johnson campaign, you meet a ton of resistance sharing something that is even as normie new as Gary Johnson. Like it's 
Um, I mean, because the 2012 campaign, I was pretty much the only one doing it in the in the area. But uh, knocking on doors and like being like, "Hey, let me tell you about Gary Johnson." Like people get upset about it. Uh oh, what's that? Did you get knocked off? Oh, I can I can hear you typing, so I'll keep going. But yeah, so on that point, uh, there is there's a degree of I'm trying to think of how to say it because it's not you're not trying to be sneaky or hide it from people, but it's yeah, information security I think is the best way to uh, say it, which is just you don't need to tell everybody your life story. People who tell everybody their life story on first meet weird, and uh, I think people kind of know that to some degree. Um, so I'll go ahead and be silent for just a minute while Agora is getting his stuff back up because he's having some tech- technical difficulties. Um, yeah, I'm back. I was about to just say I, I absolutely agree. I didn't miss oh, okay. a good portion of that, but I think I get your gist. Yeah. Um, I just had to switch to my phone because my headset that was connected to my computer. Died. Oh, okay. Yeah, we are okay. all good. Well, that's good. So yeah, but I, I, I like I like the information security portion of that a lot and – um, like I was saying, like from a from doing like political action organization, even though I didn't do a huge, huge amount of it, but back when I used to do the Young Libertarians in Virginia Beach, um, that whole that it's hard. It's hard to interact with people who are not initiated. And there's uh, mm-hmm. and from, you know, from a religious perspective or whatever, there's um, it's sort of the same thing as you is people are turned off by Bible thumpers They're but they're not turned off by their friends mm-hmm. who want to teach them about christ or something like that you like if i mean they, they may still be but you're still their friend and so that's kind of one of those right. things where like over time you build it up and you know even with like uh i remember when i first started getting into the anarchist stuff and my dad who's um basically i'd say he's less of a boomer normie he's 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 older he's in his late 50s and he's just kind of set in his ways now and he's just like I, he doesn't really care about it but like the more time goes by and the more that we've interacted on this stuff and the more the world changes in ways that our type of people have predicted it the more he kind of goes oh maybe that's not wrong and and that's something that happens yeah. over time but he's also the type of guy who would be very happy to come help you build your raised bread beds because that's just he just likes doing that exactly yep Love yeah. it. And and also on the on the the naming optics, I like that too. Is that instead of instead of saying like agorist meetup or whatever to to do your like mm-hmm. garage sale like your your sales and stuff like that, is you would just call it swap meet or um, flea, yeah. flea market, yeah, flea market, and and that way people yeah. will just kind of it, it just seems very normal. So like when you're bringing your produce to market or whatever at Childerberg Town, instead of instead of it being something that's going to like attract the eye of Sauron, you know, you're, it, it, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's just, you know, a garage sale with that happens to have fruits and vegetables and stuff. Right. Yep. So that very good, very good, uh, very good points on that. I, I uh, see that, uh, that um, PT Jared is lurking here a little bit. I, I'd like him to come on because we talked about cloud nine and he's the one who suggested that, but if uh, he's. Mm-hmm. And I would very much like uh, his input on this next okay. part as well that i that i have so i'm I'm really glad he's here yeah you sound great hey what's up yep. can you guys hear me okay nope perfect too loud or too perfect. quiet we we, we talked about right, cloud cool. nine for a little while yeah this is the oh good deal yeah. uh, do you, uh preliminary research, preliminary research it or, but it's like it's a really good model that? and it's actually they use a lot of the same things that we've been talking about the last two episodes which uh is pretty cool um and uh agora brought up that they sound very libertarian in a lot of their advertisement. 
How so? Uh, oh, on their I website. haven't even heard an oh, advertisement. Really? You, uh, you can either listen back or I can just read you that last uh, sentence that where that part is. Re- okay. I, yeah, uh, just were read you that. at the distillery tour or did you participate in that? Yeah, at Iron Wolf? Yes. At Childerberg? Yeah. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. You remember I how we there. said that guy was at Childerberger? This oh, yeah, section sure. made me think that these people are kind of like that. Uh, so the last sentence in this uh, part of the, it says, what does it mean to be a Cloud9 Ranch member? And it mentions how, like, you get, they actually give you an ownership, uh, like an actual deed, an individual deed to the land. So everybody owns a portion. Right. And then this last sentence is about their yep. values. Freedom, family, and respect are sound and permanent values that bring together the pride of ownership in Cloud9 Ranch. Owners look forward to sharing the various aspects of Cloud9 Ranch with other co-owners, family, and friends for years to come. We look forward to the pleasure of meeting you and your family. Hope to see you at the ranch soon. And I just, something about that has this tongue-in-cheek, I'm saying something to you without outright saying the word libertarian, but I get that vibe. Yeah, and and I've uh, so I I have a lot of personal experience with them. I've uh, I've st- uh, I haven't stayed there, but I've spent a lot of time out there because they were uh, well. We we partnered with a company that built some of their internet connections, and they were going to get internet from the company that I worked from. So I worked closely with them for a while, and uh, uh, I have family also that is uh, looking at buying one of the plots out there too. So. Uh, I, I got that vibe being on site as well. Uh, it's really uh, down to earth and, uh, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. backwoods, what you would expect from kind of a uh, Ozarkian hillbilly. But yeah, definitely, um, there's definitely a, a, a freedom. It seems like a really cool sure. model. And it's a, a lot of the things that we were talking about in the last couple of episodes to make Childeberg Town right off the bat be a at least revenue neutral kind of thing where. People can buy in, and it's to and it's the the amenities are to the extent that the buy in has reached, basically. So, it, the initial if it's just me and Victoria at first, then it's just a, a camping platform or like a yurt or something like that, and that's it. <laughs> and then, and then as people join, it will it will build up, but it'll be something well, that the campsites and stuff can be a, a money maker as well that attract people quick like to come and do stuff, and it's an inflow of money. Yeah, and so I've brought this up in the past when I looked at the Cloud9 model. There's clearly some degree of central planning. Mm-hmm. So you you drive into the camp, and uh, there's this long, probably two mile road that goes back into it, and it's very it's just a beautiful drive to get back into it. And you're when you enter into it, you drive into kind of uh, Club Central. There's a clubhouse, there's a pool, there's a, a restaurant, and a store. Um, and then from there, it kind of spiders out to these different uh, campgrounds, but they're all sort of interconnected and they're all a part of the same trail system. And that's kind of the really big attraction is mm-hmm. ATV and UTV trails, uh, horseback riding, things like that. So there's this sort of central um, appeal, you know, that that's kind of the the kind of person that it attracts aside from you know, a philosophical person, because I think it does attract probably mostly conservatives and libertarians, but like in terms of yeah. fun attractions, yeah. that's, it, yeah, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's all built around that. But each, each, each plot, I mean, some of the plots are larger than others. Uh, there's, uh, there's RV storage. So they make a little income off of that. And of course they sell the plots of land and then the membership fees are what pay for 
you know, right. the, the public quote public areas and they're, right. they're not public, they're, they're member areas. So I think there's a little bit of a mind shift, uh, a mindset shift. It's not public how we would understand public now because public now is funded by well, they, they you know, voluntarily agree to be a part of, of that right yeah <laughs> sure yes exactly and they they did actually yes. sign a contract <laughs> yeah not that's, a social we, we've contract. talked about that like in the first episode we talked about um village homes and davis which has a very similar thing it's a it's a permaculture subdivision and um and it's sort of the same thing those people are interested in that lifestyle they buy into that and there are community amenities, but, and that they do pay for. I mean, it's kind of like living in an HOA, but a less, a, a more interest focused HOA and not a like property value focused HOA or not. It is, it is property value focused, but it's, yeah, it's yeah. value value focused in a different way though. Mm-hmm. And, but um, things like a, like a unanimous consent modification to the HOA agreement is like things like that make these types of subdivisions more sustainable. Uh, and also, you know, you're not going to have like the HOA change where they're going to chop down all the fruit trees or something like that because the people moved there to live in a place that has a, an abundance of food just growing around them. And that's, uh, and, and same thing with like cloud nine is the people moved there to have 150 miles of ATV trails and, Right, so they're not going to just uh, turn yeah. that into a subdivision and right. put a bunch of suburbs. Exactly, yeah. So, it, and yep. and that's kind of that's part of what we'd like to transfer to the model for intentional town building is, and, and this is is organized very similarly to like the way that I imagine that Childerberg Town would be organized. Is you would have the central village where because some people are townies. Like I think I'm kind of a townie. Like the more the older I get, the more I'm starting to think I'm kind of a town person. Um, I'm not a city person, but I do like. <laughs> Oh, can, I was going to say, can you can you kind of can you delve into that just a little bit? Because I I think I'm with you there. I think I'm a townie. Um, yeah, like I just but I, I'm I, definitely I, not a city person. I, when I was back, I was out in California a couple of weeks ago visiting my grandma, and I was walking around like my old places. And there's there's a store that you can walk to. There's a pizza place you can walk to. Um, there's and then there's just the neighborhoods that are are nice to walk through. But everything's relatively close within walking distance. You can drive if you want to, but I like living in a place where things are close and easy to get to, especially if they're close and easy to get to by walking. I, I am not a huge fan of sitting in the car for very long. And um, so I think that that's where I would like to live. I also like going out to the woods and camping. Like we, we you know, when we went to Childeberg or whatever, um, we're close to a town, but not as, I think I would like to live on maybe a half acre, a quarter acre in a town that's walkable to some amenities that I would like to be able to walk to a restaurant, uh, a grocery store or a convenience store, the bar, um, things like that. And, and actually, I think I was telling, I don't remember who I was telling. I had a dream that I was like, I had a vision of Childerberg town <laughs> uh, where I was walking uh, down like a gravel road and it was like piney. I could smell it and stuff. And then I looked up and I could see this like Christmassy light candy cane up in the trees for some reason. And then some dude comes walking by uh, with like a trucker hat and like an orange vest and he pats me on the back and he goes, Hey bud. And, but like in my, in the dream, I knew that I was close to the bar. He was walking to the bar. I was just out walking my dogs. And later on, I'd probably meet up with this person at the bar. And it reminded me a lot of like the, where I grew up in a relatively small town where people are walking around and you just see them and you talk to them. Whereas if you're out in the sticks and you don't see anybody for weeks and weeks and weeks, I don't really want to live that way. I want to live in a community. That's that's what I mean by townie. Yeah, 
did you uh, did you get to spend much time in uh, or any time in Jasper, Arkansas? Uh, no, did no. The, uh, peaceful trees. Was, that, camping was trip? that where that little shop was that we went to? Man, so ne- yeah, okay. yeah. So so next year you've got to do that because I that that town is just it, it has that perfect feel of you know it's very very small. You can tell that the majority of the people that come there for commerce don't actually live in the town. There's almost no residential you know. Uh, uh, housing inside the town. It's just this little town square with a mm-hmm. cool little, you know, mountain Ozark mountain feel to it. And there's just a couple shops, a couple restaurants and a, you know, a post office basically, and that's it. But you can walk to everything within the town and it's just a cute little, you know, it, it's the perfect townsy thing because, you know, I see myself having a cup of coffee and then, you know, talking to whoever in the town that I know, but then I, I live you know, within driving yeah. distance from there, maybe some something like that, or even walking distance. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's yeah. that's uh, that's where it's at in terms of uh, yeah. certainly in terms of an intentional community. I will. I, next I, year I will. Have to cool. There, there is up kind of where I grew up, uh, a little town. It's it is a very touristy town. It's called Apple Hill. Um, it's up the, up the mountain. It's, they they have a bunch of apple orchards, obviously, and um, but it's the same thing. It's just like there's a, a little main street. It's got a couple of restaurants. Um, you know, coffee, maybe actually probably only one restaurant, a restaurant, a coffee place, a little convenience store. There's a few apartments above them because it's an old West town. And, um, they're like just little apartments. You, most of them are like, you can rent them out, um, like an Airbnb kind of thing. And then within walking distance outside of that, there is very small neighborhoods. Um, and I've always, I've always liked that. Yeah, it is a yeah, really neat little that, area, that's cool. and um, yeah. they have Apple Festival up there and stuff like that. So you come up and buy apples, uh, <laughs> and they and they have Christmas tree farms and things like that. But um, yeah, it's just it's a nice little town. But that's that's kind of what I envision is like maybe there is a city nearby, like within an hour or two or something like that, or a bigger town. But like I'd I'd like to live somewhere that's kind of quiet where you don't like where I grew up. You didn't nobody had to worry about your kids being out running around or anything. Like you know, people just you just went out and did. Yeah. Well, and you shouldn't, you know, I mean, I mean, to be an effective parent, you, you need your kids to have some level of, of right freedom to be free range. And if they can't, then in my opinion, that, that restricts their learning development. And so as a parent, you need to have that, that freedom to, uh, to allow your kids to kind of, you know, right. You, you trust your neighbors enough to yeah, go out and explore. And that, that was kind of the, the cool thing about where I grew up is we knew everybody. So, so if there was a problem, there was no, yeah. there was no problem with just yelling and somebody would come and go, Oh, there was like, actually, well, I wasn't able to yell far enough for this, but uh, I've told the story, I think on tasting anarchy before, but um, my sister and I used to go out in the backyard and climb trees and um, not, not in the backyard in the fields behind our house. There was like maybe 30 or 40 acres of fields behind our house. And um, we'd go out there and climb trees and catch snakes and mice and things like that. And uh, I remember my mom's rule was you're not allowed to climb trees. If you're, if you don't think you can come back down. So if you get stuck and you have to come call me to help you get out of the tree, then you can't climb that tree anymore. So we had this really cool tree back there and I climbed up and I fell out of the tree, but on my way down, it snagged my underwear. And 
so I was hanging from the tree by my underwear and I mean, it was ridiculous. And I remember my older sister was, we were both that we were out there together because we weren't allowed to just go by ourselves out in the fields. We had to go with somebody. So my older sister was there too. And she's trying to lift my underwear off this branch and get me out of the tree. And she's like, I'm going to go get mom. I'm going to go get mom. I'm like, no, but she won't let us climb the tree anymore because I'll need help getting out. And she's like, well, I can't get you off. Do you just want to hang there? And so she finally goes and gets my mom. And while I'm waiting, hanging from this tree by my underwear, they finally break and I just fall. (laughs) I have this great image of this. (laughs) I I only know full grown Jake. So that's all I can imagine. It was was thoroughly embarrassing, but like, and I wasn't that far off the ground. I was like maybe five feet off the ground and like, but dangling by the and then finally the underwear ripped and I fell down and, and walked home crying because I fell on the ground. But uh, and then mom and my mom and sister come walking up the hill halfway and there and mom goes, well, you got out of the tree. So I guess you could climb that one again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't pretty. But, it was, but-, yeah. but I mean, that, that sort of thing used to happen back there all the time. But like we knew enough and my mom trusted us enough that we could use our judgment. There was a couple of times where we got stuck in things where we needed help. And, but it was, we knew enough people around us that uh, we were able to like one time we got stuck in this really deep mud and I couldn't get out of it. And uh, so we had to go get my dad and he came out and he was mad because our boots got stuck in there and he couldn't get them out. So he had, to, we had to come out once the mud dried and dig them out. And um, so that was one. And then the other one, I fell over the front of my bike, the the handlebars going down a hill and I uh, skinned up my chin. But fortunately the lady who lived at the house, and I can't remember her name right now, but um, she knew me obviously because we knew everybody. And so she saw me, she just happened to be looking out out her window while she was doing dishes and just saw me like fly over the front of my handlebars and um, going down this hill, you know, in my, in my mind, it's like 40 miles an hour, but it was probably like five or 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But too fast to be going down a hill, especially back then I didn't know how to brake. It was one of those bikes where you pedal backward to brake. I didn't know how to brake. So what I would usually do is just look for a grassy spot and jump off the bike into the grass. And uh, so that's what I was, I was going down the hill too fast and got nervous and tried to brake, but I didn't know how to like brake loosely by pedaling backwards. I, it was just all or nothing. And, uh, so it broke immediately and that's how I went flying over the front of the bike. And, but she saw me do it and she comes running out, of course, knows my mom's phone number, immediately calls the house and says, Hey, you know, Jake fell off. It looks pretty bad. You know, you might need to take him to get stitches or something. Um, cause I landed right on my chin and, uh, just like on the concrete, just scraped it all up. But, uh, I didn't need, well, it's amazing. Well, it's I mean, amazing we all, everybody so, did. Everybody so back well. then was just doing whatever, like, I mean, and my mom was crazier when she was a kid. Like she was a little more strict, I think, than her parents. So like my mom, when she was like 15, went to San Francisco by herself. Like, yeah, 15 or like, yeah, 15 or 16, she went to a, uh, that's young, like a clash concert or something like that. Like she, yeah, she was like a punk rocker back then. And, uh, her and a friend of hers went together. They were in high school, uh, and, and end up splitting up. The friend wanted to go with these guys. And my mom was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going with them. <laughs> and, uh, and end up right. getting a ride in. I mean, th- you know, it's weird to think about how rural California is. And I mean, this will tie it into being posted on the California and exile. California back then was super rural. So like, the, you know, the going to San Francisco was 
not a huge, huge deal, but it is two and a half hours away from where we grew up. And um, so my mom ended up catching a ride to a town that she knew, like Lodi or somewhere like that. And she knew somebody in Lodi and then got them to drive her to Plymouth so that she could, because she knew that it was Sunday and that my uncle would be at the church that he went to in Plymouth, which was also a million miles away. And so, and then just hung out at the church until he was done with church and then he drove her back up the, up the hill. So like back then, like things like that were pretty normal. And I'm sure people were getting, you know, abducted or whatever. The hysteria of, of abduction nowadays is, I think it's, I, I really think it's overblown. Cause like when the community was closed, like in that town, everybody oh, knew sure. who the bad guys were. And they just stayed away from them, mm-hmm. and 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 everybody's keeping yeah. an eye on it too. And uh, wow, yeah, that's really fascinating because you know you, you you could open up a can of worms on on uh, the scare tactics yeah. of human trafficking and all that, and how they how they've inflated the numbers to to scare parents, uh, you know, with all these uh, child abductions and uh, missing missing persons cases. All, all of those numbers are wildly inflated. And when I was a kid, same thing. I mean, my parents, uh, we had a, a little, um, we had a, a creek that ran through our backyard and, and we lived in a, a town of, I don't know, uh, three to 5,000. It was small, but big enough to, you know, have some troublemakers. And my parents were uh, more of the free range type people. It was like, you know, yeah, you can ride your bike to the gas station and yeah, you can walk up and down the creek and walk down the street and all all that stuff. And I think, to me, that really benefited my childhood, and I think there's a huge um, lack of that in in modern yeah. modern parenting in modern uh, America. Uh, but that's something that this type of community could easily yeah, I mean, solve. Well, because I think a lot of it is um, is so. people being aware of the kids that are around and the people that are around, because that adds a layer of security. Is that if you see somebody who doesn't belong there, or or that you that it's not familiar to you, you're if you are invested in the community, you're more willing to engage that person and then find out why they're there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and then a lot of times, you know, maybe they're just visiting. What's that? It's also a salience thing because if, so you, you have, you have sort of the baseline, like what's normal. And so if you don't know everyone, then you're not perturbed when you see someone you don't know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that and that makes a lot of sense because when we moved to Virginia, well, and Virginia Beach is a fairly large city. I continued doing all of the things that I did when I lived in a small town, and I got the cops called on me a bunch of times. And but it was, wow. but I, I was like fifteen, and I was like, "What? Like why?" I thought you were going to say, but I mean, well, I well, was, I mean, like, I was we, like things pop, like. But... Uh, <laughs> I remember I, we when I lived in California, we had never lived anywhere where water froze. And uh, one year we had a uh, the ponds behind a friend of mine's house froze, and I was like, "Well, let's just go walk on the ponds." Like, you know, it's we weren't walking like in the middle of it. I knew enough about frozen water that like you just stay along the shore because if it cracks or whatever, you fall into like two feet. But they were like there were these like drainage ditches, basically. So you so you know enough about like. Northern Texas and Midwest frozen water, but not like the North. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I knew, I knew enough that like, (laughs) and my friend was from Connecticut. So like he knew that like, it has to be cold for a really long time for the water to get frozen real thick so that you can like skate on it and stuff like that. But so we were just kind of like walking along the edge of it. We weren't even really walking on the ice. We were, we were doing a little bit of it, but we were mostly just throwing rocks in the middle of it, watching the ice break. And, uh, some cop 
shows up and they're like, hey, what are you guys doing? And my friend's like, cheese it. We got to get out of here. But I, I was like, I'm just walking, throwing rocks. <laughs> and they're like, hey, come over here. And like, I also like I had been raised with a level of respect for the police, but like to the point where like, they're like, well, you can't do that. And I'm like, says who? Like, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, but like not in a rude way, mm-hmm. but like, they're like, well, I got to take you home. And I was like, okay. And so like, they took my friend home first and they took me home. And the cop was like, well, I got to talk to your mom. And I was like, all right. And uh, the, cop, the cop knocks on the door and goes, do you know what your son was doing? And she's like, yeah, he was over at the creek walking on the ice. <laughs> and he's like, well, he's not supposed to do that. And she goes, why? <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, kids cause problems and they could be throwing ice at the cars that pass by and stuff. And he's like, well, he's not doing that. I know him. <laughs> like, Exactly. Yeah. So, so is it, it's, it's illegal because some kid could, or, or yeah, rocks exactly. illegal? It was, I, it was, a, it was a very weird, a <laughs> like a weird interaction, but it was yeah. like that kind of thing where like, I was free to do a lot of stuff and I continued doing it. And then moving into a city, it became a very different situation. Mm-hmm. Just total cultural norms. Little, little yeah. does Jake know, this is how he became. <laughs> this is how he became. <laughs> like, a lot of it was, I mean, like, the first yeah, I mean, and my parents let me do a lot of stuff that was not, that in a small town would be normal stuff. Like I bought my first car when I was 14. And then when I was 15, I got my first job and I was allowed to drive the car to the job. And around the neighborhood, I could drive the car, but uh, I wasn't allowed to go like very far with it or anything, but I didn't have a license or or a learner's permit. Yeah. I, I was yeah, about to yeah, say, well, yeah, because that's it, illegal. Yeah. But, but your, so your parents were allowing it, but legally no, you no, can't you, drive. You, you, machine, right? Yeah. Not until I didn't get my license. Until I think I was 17. Yeah. 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 And, and I was just, drove, but I just yeah. drove anyways. But yeah. like my parents' reasoning was, well, just don't make sure your cars got all of the stuff that don't give them an excuse to pull you over and don't go very far. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, yep. um, and yeah. to, the, to this my day, my car has been out of it inspection for over a year. <laughs> yeah. But Amazing I mean, like, stuff, I, right? it's like, I, I could go pay it. It's like 25 bucks or something to get it inspected. But like, it's, we're on lockdown and we don't drive my car mm-hmm. very often. So like, why would I pay the money? <laughs> it works. True. So wait, do they require inspections in Texas? Uh, yeah. There's a safety inspection they require, which is like. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. My, uh, so in Kansas, you only have to do that. And basically all they do is check the VIN number and make sure your blinkers work. Yes, that's pretty but much like, what they do here. They, they check the tire tread also. They, oh, they might do that too. But yeah, they, all he did, it, and it's only if you're, if it's a state where the tag was out of state before it came here, then once they do that, you just keep renewing it. Yeah. So I'm like, well, what's the point? Because what if next year I've got a broken tail light? You're not going to check it again. Yeah. So okay, one of those silly. (laughs) It's just kind of an odd thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Don't you have one more thing that you wanted to? uh, I do have one more thing, and I am very pleased. I'm very pleased. Hurry up and get to it. So, uh, this this is the Uh, final (laughs) piece of paperwork that I have, which is a writing prompt. It's basically one paragraph, uh, based on prompt. Well, prompted by a video I saw on YouTube, which was a bunch of a couple of hippies in Europe talking about communes that they had participated in that had some issues uh and so a lot of theirs was very touchy-feely like you you got to be aware of emotions and things like that but it really sparked uh some definitions that i wanted to hammer out and so i will give this prompt and see what you guys think so this is going to be like the for lack of a better term the the constitution of the community or really just sort of a 
like let let's actually write down what we expect out of this and what we expect out of people and what the people can expect from the community. So uh, I titled it "Needs Ex." Hey, where did you? Can well, you tell me is, where you I, found I wrote this? this. This is based on me watching some videos. No, but I mean, where'd you get the where'd you get the writing prompt? I wrote the writing prompt. So so where I'm getting oh, okay. this from? So you, I watched that video you were in, and I thought okay, about I it you, and I, I was you. like, I need to write this down. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's called needs, expectations, and rules. Uh, the purpose of this document is to write down the specifics of each node in the title. So each of those are separate things. Physical and emotional awareness being key to the success of the community. Needs may include things such as power, food, water, amen amenities, and member compatibility. Expectations from both sides of membership, i.e. members and their expectations of others and new members and prospective members' expectations of the community and its features, including culture, political philosophy. Uh, you don't want a communist coming in expecting a commune, yeah. obviously. And social financial obligations to the community. Social slash financial obligations to the community. Its corporation or its members. Rules, obviously, being the hard bedrock of the community is founded and how they play into the continuation of the community. Baseline rules may include crimes and their punishments, hard financial obligations to the corporation, laying out of consensus structure for admittance and removal of, of members, etc. None of the aforementioned are to be construed as the one true way of doing it, but the layout of the document itself should serve as a blueprint and help guide the thoughts of those considering this alternative to achieving their desired state of living. So what do you guys think? Uh, keeping those things separate, um, do you think we can, we can do something with this? Yeah, and well, this is something I think it, it sort of relates to something we talked about in the earlier episodes, which is if this is a like a corporate structure, the contract of buying into that can lay a lot of these things out. And that way it's not something that's enforced on you. It's something you agree to. And this is probably, you know, probably going back to cloud nine, they probably have something very similar. If you're going to join this, this uh, ATV club, this um, then you're going to have a certain, certain agreements that, um, you know, that will be prohibited or allowed and certain expectations that you'll probably, uh, especially depending on where you live, especially if like what we were talking about earlier, where there's different parts of the community, there may be different expectations of people who live on half an acre near town than people who live on, you know, 10 acres outside of town. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and exactly. So like you have, uh, well, let me, let me address one thing you just said in it. And it's the, the corporation thing. Like, I don't necessarily think that you – well, the people who live outside, you might have a situation where it's open to the public in the sense that there are shops and there are um, – you know, who knows? There, there are so many ideas that you could do in terms of um, hospitality, you know, keeping cattle to where people who are not necessarily members have yeah. some level of a vested interest, whether they're spending money annually or whether mm -hmm. they're spending money just – on a drive through, uh, those people wouldn't necessarily abide by the same right. corporate uh, bylaws right. that uh, that you're laying out here. Another thing that maybe concerns me just a little bit is I, I don't think that the public grounds would necessarily have a um, an, an interest in somebody's emotional well being so long as they were, uh, you know, 
abiding by the the laws mm-hmm. that they agreed to or the bylaws that they agreed right. to. Right. Well, and that I think so, that's so that I find that a little yeah, bit interesting. Uh, can I can I add something to that specific point there? I think that um yeah that that falls into kind of the difference between these these communes and what we're doing, which is definitely very individualistic and uh, private property oriented. Um, I, I did try to specifically leave that out. I know I mentioned that regarding the, the video I saw on YouTube where they talked about that, but it did spark this um, where I, I did mention that, you know, like, if, for example, if you're going to live on property and you're going to buy into corporation land, right? So it's like CeeLo where you buy in as opposed to, you know, living nearby and coming out once in a while and shopping here. Um, then you would be interested in the political philosophy or you would be interested in, you know, actually knowing the other members of the community as opposed to just, yeah. you know, being a... So I, I think there's, well, you're right to point out that there is a difference between a member and a visitor. And also, like I've mentioned before, the difference between a member and a landholding right, member. Right, yeah. Well, that's that's. there's also uh, sort of from like the, I guess the emotional standpoint as well, is that the structure of, well, CeeLo, using CeeLo as the example, the structure of CeeLo is designed so that people don't get butt hurt because that's bad for the community. And so like people being pissed off that somebody did, you know, well, I mean, like the Killdoser is a good example of this. Um, the that dude lived in a community where his. Well, no, no, oh, I, th- I think I think it, like it's I a think. good. It's if if they had structured the agreement of their community correctly, he would not have felt as slighted over the amount of time he felt slighted. The courts didn't work for him. They repeatedly targeted him, uh, or he felt like they did at least, and he got to a point where he said, "I have no other option than to do <laughs> the killdozer," <laughs> and. <laughs> yeah, well, but, uh, no I mean, that, but that's but that's yeah. the thing is that like it, you know <laughs> yeah. people talk about this all the time is that um, there it, it does seem really <laughs> silly, but the way that CeeLo is structured is it's not inviting to people who are going to be tyrannical, and it's also um, it also makes it so that the community can't gang up on somebody. Uh, and, yeah. Oh, well, we talked about I you weren't part of the conversation. So there's this sorry. there's this town in North Carolina called Silo. They were started in 1937. It's a Quaker community, of course, and uh, and uh, of course because you know, <laughs> um, but they they were started in 1937. And the way that they structured it was they're they're a corporation. They the corporation purchased a thousand acres or a little more than a thousand acres, and um, the way that you you buy into it is you actually buy a lifetime transferable lease to your property from the corporation. And this has a couple of advantages. It has a couple of advantages. One is you have corporate protection Two, it can't be annexed by a municipality because um, it's corporate land. Uh, Well, in North Carolina, it can't other places. It may be, it just depends on the law there, but uh, and also it makes it so that if you're a lifetime holder of the lease, it's effectively property. Uh, and then also there's a buyout clause to every one of those leases. So if let's say, I, I'm just using round numbers here, you buy 10 acres for $10,000 depreciated over X amount of time so that if before that amount of time you decide you need to leave, then the corporation will buy you out so you can leave. But but they And they also have the ability to veto your sale, um, but it takes, it takes uh, because, so there's a couple of, it's it's sort of a lot of stuff. So one is it takes 100% consent of all of the leaseholders to admit a new leaseholder. So yeah. 
Interesting. It also takes one hundred percent of all of leaseholders, except for the one leaseholder, to kick a leaseholder out. So, uh, so it's very difficult to remove somebody yeah. if, uh, if for whatever reason, like you know, we used to get this in church all the time, where like you'd have these like weird factions, and they would get uh, like oddly powerful. But in Quaker churches, that doesn't happen because it takes one hundred percent consent. So you wouldn't you you wouldn't get these like factions of 25% of the the uh congregation that got into power positions that could do things that pissed off the rest of it the, re- the other so if you got kicked out would you would you leave you, like, lose, would you lease, lose your non you lose lease but it would lease? execute the buyout clause for the amount remaining in the in the depreciated lease so you so, yeah, so you'd you, be kicked you, out yeah. but you'd get yeah, some you, they would buy the land right. and so the, there's also what's interesting about silos if you make improvements to your property if if the hundred percent of the community agrees that that is an improvement. It is added into the buyout price. So, so if you're, oh, cool, that's really interesting because then you're you're incentivized to only right uh, or, or things that make money, like like they're like uh, uh, yeah, anything that makes money. Or, yeah, oh, that's great too. Like yeah, it would have to be something that either then, makes money or yeah. makes yeah. And now a lot yeah. of people at at the oh, actual CLO, yeah. I mean, the, the people at CLO are mostly kind of hippies and stuff like that, but that's fine. It works really well mm-hmm. for them. There's actually there's like a commune nearby CLO that's like communist and it's a shithole. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but <laughs> CLO. Yeah, yeah, there is. No way. Is that, is that is that true? So there's so you have the dichotomy. You <laughs> which, have yeah. CLO, which seems to be more yeah. of a uh, they, they do, capitalist. They I mean, do. They have, they a, have market, a lot of communal things about it, but the communal things that they have are um, voluntary. They're like they do a lot, like a lot of community meals and things like that. But um, yeah, but they're it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, right it's, the road, a, it's like a, a weird. It's like it's a no private property. <laughs> I got to look up the name of it. I'll bring it for the next episode. But there is, there's another one. Let's okay. It's, it's, it's a hip. Now they have actually existed for a long time though, but it's all shacks. They don't have any power. The the water is not clean. Like it, it's like living in like the 1800s or something. It's uh like a shithole, but yeah, it's probably, yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> probably, probably downstream yeah. from this uh, community. <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up and bring it in for the next one. Cause there is a lot of really interesting examples of that where they're, where if you are a commie and you want to live that way, if you're with a couple of other commies, it works out. CeeLo is about 100 families. Yeah, it's, it's where all the yeah. people who got unanimously <laughs> right, <yeah>. voted out. <laughs> so, and, and then also what's interesting about CeeLo is they, do have, they also have a maximum family number. So there can only be I – think, I think 100 is their max. I, I have to look up exactly what it is. But they do have a maximum. So if, if – no, no, no. It, Wait, that's how many kids uh, uh, you can In have? the community can you only can have, have 100, 100 households basically. So, so if your household is, you know, 20 people, then yeah, oh, you can do okay. that. But, um, if you, if you're like, let's say there's a hundred people already and you want to come in, they'd say, well, sorry, there's nothing available. But, uh, what's interesting about CeeLo is that people who are interested in it, but have not been able to move into CeeLo, they have bought property nearby and then they, and they operate in CeeLo as just uh, adjacent to it. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's a very, and they've been around for almost a hundred years now. Cool. So, um, mm-hmm. Uh, now, one one thing I wanted to quickly mention, uh, I, I found on Cloud9's uh, website, if you go, there's a left pane mm-hmm. that kind of breaks down the different things. If you click on member portal, oh, interesting. there are corporate documents there. And so their bylaws are listed. They've got general rules, fishing rules, hunting rules. Uh, so everything is laid out for their oh. uh, kind of in a public forum there and people who want yeah. to potentially join. I'll read those. So if you guys wanted yeah, to read yeah, those. Uh, that's a good idea. I'll read them the and, general and maybe we'll, talk, we'll put it on our list yeah. to talk about next time too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Financial reports are also on there, and then they have. Uh, uh, apparently, they're making a proposal for a new water treatment oh, that's cool. facility, that's cool. so that's, that's, that's posted on there at. as well. So it's oh, kind of cool. I'm read that. Okay. So uh, what I'll do then, uh, I'll, to close this little uh, prompt here, is is to just uh, sort of reiterate what these things are and what I'm trying to achieve with this prompt. Um, so the needs obviously are going to be, you know, what do we actually need from the community uh, to get it started? So basic amenities, um, the money making machine part of it. Uh, and then obviously uh, a need would be member compatibility, but that's solved by the consensus rules that we've talked about before. Um, expectations. So, so when it comes to the expectations, cause I think that's where we get the hang up. Cause I think we all agree with having a list of what we need and a list of, you know, rules and bylaws, but, uh, the expectations is the hang up. So the way I look at expectations is that what what we really just need to do is have it written down somewhere what it is that we're trying to do. Uh, like like I wrote in here, you don't want a commie joining thinking they're joining a commune when what we have is basically Ancapistan or some crazy hybrid thing that we're. Yeah, doing. but I mean, even even um, on that point too, even in Ancapistan or whatever, I've I've talked about this a little bit before, and actually I think Jared and you and I talked about it uh, at. Childerberg dose was there are certain ANCAPs that I don't really want to live with. Um, we just have different lifestyle choices. Well, true, and so true. having that defined ahead of time is a really, I think a really good uh, way to avoid living near somebody you, that you'd rather, even if you're friendly with them, if they just mm-hmm. have a lifestyle that is not compatible with what you want, um, then, right. You know, they, they can live at Ancapistan down the road and you can live in Childerberg town, you know, for whatever your values are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically what we're talking about is a, a value yeah. statement or whatever they call that in the business right. world um, or, a, or a mission statement, right? Um, and so I, I'm just trying to say like if, if we're having someone apply or they're, they're interested in applying to, you know, buy land, silo style and, and be a part of this, what's on the brochure that you hand right. them? And that's, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm going for here. And, and the entire purpose of this document is, hey, let's write some things down, just like I did earlier when I was talking about the information security of the Freedom Cell Network and how we can work with that. Um, I think being able to sit down and go, okay, these are the problems I have. What are the solutions that I can use to deal with that as opposed to just kind of uh, winging it when you go to build the community? Yeah. Um, I, I, I like the idea of foresight. I love the idea of this discussion that we're having right now that we do on a monthly basis. It's, I mean, it's really jogging my brain. Man. Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, Jared's actually uh, a solutioner, a solutioning person for yeah. one of the things we discussed earlier, which was, um, oh yeah, uh, internet uh, connection rurally because that's oh, uh, yeah, Jared's. Yeah. We had mentioned, right. Right. That's my bread we had and butter. Mentioned right some there. mobile solutions. I, I had heard of some people using Verizon jetpacks, and if you if you can have visual line of sight to the cell tower, you're usually pretty good as far as like a good connection. But I know those are a bit limited, so I don't know. Uh, do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. So I, I mean, what I do is I, I work in uh, fixed wireless uh, wireless ISPs, and we basically do uh, on a, a smaller scale what your cell companies do in terms of building uh, towers and then you uh, you can feed them with a fiber connection or a wireless backhaul connection from another tower and then from there you you distribute out a signal to to people um, it's it point to multipoint and you know it's just like any other internet connection only uh, the difference with uh, fixed wireless is of course 
the receiver is affixed in a specific location to kind of stabilize your signal and then transfers it over, you know, cat five or coax, whatever into the house. And so uh, it's more like it, it, you know, it's not mobile. So it's not not, a jet package. It's not a mobile cellular network. uh, Satellite. Right. Exactly. And, and the problem with jetpacks is the speeds are usually great because it's very difficult to find places that are not mega rural <laughs> where you can't get 4G LTE in this, you know, in, in, in the developed world. And 4G LTE is still very capable in terms of speed. But the problem is it's very congested. And so cell companies have uh, restricted it or bottlenecked it to where there's data caps. You can't get unlimited plans anymore unless you've yeah. got a crazy grandfathered plan. And so... Uh, you know, if you if you were to build your own network and buy bandwidth from a, a town nearby and then wirelessly backhaul down into your community, you could easily provide uh, the necessary. Uh, if you wanted to sell it to the home, or if you wanted to provide like a public Wi-Fi, you know, you could do anything you wanted at that point. Yeah, and so, so I could I could help. So that, that I think solves one of the things we discussed earlier is the is the internet is that that's mm-hmm. definitely very possible and. Um, well, it, it, oh. I will say it only solves it to a, a certain degree. Right. You, you've solved the technical side of it, uh, but I think you do need to address the the same problem that we're having in our society today, which is oh, right. what is a public utility? In other words, what is something that the market provides or what is something that the community provides? Because I think that's what you're yeah. talking about here, and those are the hairs that you're splitting. And so is is healthcare a right or is it something that the market provides? Is you know, electricity, something, is that a right? Or is that something well, that the market provides? Had... Oh, and ahead, I, I, I was just going to say, I, I think as long as you fit the model where people's memberships are voluntary uh, and pe- and they're sustained through voluntary, uh, uh, you know, a full, a voluntary order and not executive order, I think that you can provide services as a part of that package. And then it is essentially the market providing it, yeah. if that makes any sense. So I, I think you have to answer that question. Is right. this something that the community is going to provide or are we going to bring in a pipe and, you know, provide that to either someone who wants to, to provide that service? I guess, yeah, I guess it depends yeah. on how, so it, I, I, um, I think it, uh, how it comes in or what the bandwidth cap is. Uh, Cause like for, so for example, a good example I think is um, there's a lot of people who are big time gamers uh, in the Liberty community and that, that requires quite a bit of bandwidth. And I also work from home, which doesn't require as much, but it does require me remoting into a server and doing work from home. So sure. So yeah. so bandwidth requests come from downstream, right? They come from the end user. The end user says, um, I'm gaming, so I need uh, I need low latency okay. and I don't need that much bandwidth. Or you take somebody who's doing HD uploading streaming, they need high amounts of upstream data. So the, the ISP essentially uh, responds to their consumer, how much bandwidth do you need? And then they buy that pipe okay. from an upstream provider. So what I'm getting at is that the town could be the upstream provider and you bring someone like me in that just builds a backhaul from a nearby town and gets a pipe in. Um, so I'm going to pay my upstream provider and then it's a resale yeah. after that, basically. So what I'm getting at is, and, and this is this is sort of, my expertise, but it's also, I think yeah, you have to answer yeah. that for several services is, you know, what are we providing? Are we providing uh, power to this meter? And then 
you take it from here, the market takes it from here, or are we providing it all the way to the home? And that's a part of our membership. Yeah. And, and we have, I think we have talked rule, things like that. Well, yeah. I was, was so, going to so say, this is what we talked about yeah. earlier uh, with power is that one of the things that I had talked about, like, cause I, I'm interested in power independence. So I, I do like the idea of having a very small uh, solar farm that, you know, has the battery set up and whatnot, and you can power, you know, maybe let's say six homes. Um, and then what, what I had thought, what I had mentioned to Jacob earlier was, well, what if, you know, rather than being completely ANCAPistan about it and having me develop a, a, a solar panel system on my roof and then sell you power, what if all of us who do this from the beginning, like, and, and sit down and start this community, what if we all say, you know what, we're all going to pitch in to build this system and then everybody who did that for the initial thing, we're just, that's just our power. And then someone who buys in, maybe they hook in and, and do a subscription okay. to the owner of the power supply. But everybody who originally contributed, like the first six homes that, that uh, join would, would just be hooked up to it. Um, and we would obviously accommodate the okay. extra capacity later on. Here's my question. And this, this okay. opens up Pandora's box. <laughs> Of yes, course, right, perfect. right at the end, right before. It's, you know. um, but I guess my question would be, why, why not leave that to the free market? And why not as the community, instead of trying to provide the services, provide the access to infrastructure? This is one of my ideas that I've developed over the years working for an ISP is I, I don't, when, when you talk about roads, mm -hmm. and we've talked about this on the Peaceful Treason podcast. Roads are not just a flat surface for vehicles to drive on. Roads are the arteries of your community. They are foundational to all of the infrastructure, all of your, you know, right of ways for power and phone and now data. And uh, many times, uh, well, certainly your water and many times sewage. All of that follows these arteries known as roads. And so what, what, I think of as the, the ideal community is a community that provides access to that. And so you might pre-build roads with extra conduit or extra, uh, you know, extra right-of-way space, something like that, that you then sell to uh, a mover and a shaker in the market. And, and all you're providing is the access to the infrastructure, and then they can do with it what they want. They're just I've actually I've thought a you. little bit about this too, is, um, and sort of along those same lines. My idea was, like I I don't I'm not I'm not thinking like a bajillion years ahead, but my idea was that the Childerberg Town Corporation builds these things at first, and then has a set cost to reach before it's automatically spun off into a separate corporation with whoever is a buy-in of the town. Yeah, threshold, and it gets spun off, a and threshold. then you all have shares in it, and then yeah. and then from that point, it's a separate corporation, and you can sell your shares if you don't want anything to do with it, or you can keep your shares, uh, or whatever it is, and then that would be, that would make it so, my, the one thing that I'm always concerned about is that if Childeberg Town is doing all of these things, then Childeberg Town, the corporation, has an incentive to try to use force to do stuff, whereas if there's like a automatic threshold to spin things off, then it's not like, you have to go to the Childerberg Town Corporation for water, for sewage, for uh, you know all of these things. I, I don't want it to be like a corporate right. town, like the you know coal mines of old or whatever. I want it to be right. that that you know right. if ten people move there at first, 
the corporation can help get this stuff started. And that and then it adds a corporate infrastructure so that people can start building these things out. But then after it gets to cost or something like that, it just spins that off into a new corporation. And you and people who are interested can keep their shares and keep trying to run it. But it's it's separate from the Childerberg Corporation. The Childerberg Corporation is interested mostly in just the land lease and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's yeah. just my my personal uh, fetish for off grid living um, to to suggest solar. But I the way I sort of look at it is like you can still have the the outside power. Like I am all for what you're talking about with um, making sure that that access is there. Um, but I I think one option is don't just hook into you know the access point that hooks you into the wider grid um because i i don't like the idea of the being like because power is really really important well you're, so, you're thinking about you're thinking about the grid though as a uh, centralized network right well, in other it, words maybe that's you my as the consumer when you when you say you're plugging into the grid you're talking about a, a literally uh a, an electric company's monopoly that's what a grid is and so what I'm actually proposing is that as the city, we would build an infrastructure that that permits uh, traversing that network of roads to uh, uh, an array of potential competitors. And so you could actually choose your power company, or you could be a solar company that pumps into a, a particular right. grid. And so it, it satisfies both things. So if, if you... Agora Brewing wanted to uh, do a spinoff and do a solar farm. It doesn't all of a sudden have to be a community thing. You you can actually do that on your own, or you can, yeah, and, okay. and exactly. So you could sell to anybody in the town that you wanted to because you're buying into this grid. And so, you know, I just I think it would be interesting to see a community that built the framework for a uh, a decentralized network of. Uh, utility services that yeah. we're used to seeing completely monopolized. I mean, yeah. I live in a town of 400,000 people and, and there's only one right, power right. company you can buy from because yeah, they here. own the grid. Um, they actually have deals with um, the city that says like, we are the only power company you can have. If you want to put solar on your own house, you still have to be connected to the grid here. And they made it where like the backup battery system that stores like, let's say, you know, let's say you're doing solar and so you're not gaining electricity overnight. So you have to store it in battery packs. Um, you have to be outside city limits to actually have that system. If you want to exactly. own your own power. And it's ridiculous. Um, so I'm used to that system, and I, I think you and I well, agree more and you than know, I realized. You know how... I just didn't understand how what you were saying yeah. applied to well, fixing Well, kind problem. of to, to clear it up a little bit, because like, Agora, I, I absolutely yeah, cause you and I were talking about this earlier, Agora, and that was that, like, let's say that, like, the first the first structure, like, let's say that, that Agora is the first one who can move into the Childerberg town for whatever reason. And the first structure that goes up there is the Agora Brewing Distillery or the, what do you call it? Meadery? Meadery. Meadery. Um, yeah. And, and we'll, you know, so we go, okay, look, you know what? We're going to, we're going to all chip in and help you build up your meadery real quick. Um, and we're going to make it face the correct direction for solar and we'll throw up solar panels on the roof of the meadery. And then when I move into the town, cause I need power, we'll run them through like what you were saying, Jared, the artery, the road that, uh, that all, all libertarians are afraid of <laughs> the the road. <laughs> Maybe that's my yeah, problem. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and, and I'm telling you, I, I thought yeah. of this because of the the roads yeah. argument. 
and I started playing with it, and, and I started realizing that that roads are not just mm -hmm. roads. It's much, it's it's much much more than that. <laughs> and what these power companies and ILEX and uh, uh, and uh, ISPs have done is they've they've monopolized that grid. They know that if they can be the uh, the first or especially the only uh, wa uh, water provider or power provider or whatever it is it, within that right of way that extends yeah. on the sides of the roads they own the market they own it um so it, i just thought it was fascinating it was a thought experiment to to think about well what if the city built their infrastructure to accommodate competition it, it would be yeah a, no, i, th I think it would be and that's uh, that's right? one of the things actually they talk about it a little bit in strong towns is that uh, a lot of times what um new developments will do is that they will build those conduits under the roads to be large enough to accommodate that subdivision, but also the next subdivision and which ends up being a sort of a subsidy to the next subdivision division. But, but, but with, with yeah, what we could do right, with sure, Childerberg sure. town is, I mean, with the roads and this would be very, very libertarian is, you know, there's going to be roads no matter what people want to do. They may just be gravel paths or whatever, but you know, this, this argument aside, uh, you know, Childerberg, the corporation at first could be the one who put those in and then at a certain threshold uh, of sure. cost uh, recoup, that the the Childerberg Town Road Corporation is spun off, and the Childerberg Road Town Corporation, all they do is they just say, "Sure, Look, we got a big tube in here. You can lease the tube from us or whatever to run your power lines or your internet line." Okay, hey guys, well, we only got six minutes, got, so no, that's okay. Problems. I'll talk to you. I'll talk. We'll I, talk to you later. You're good. We'll cool. All right. Yeah. 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 yeah I'll try to do this again you. too. Yep. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, but yeah, on that note, on that sort um, of note, that's kind of what what Victoria and I have been talking about a little bit is that, and we'll wrap up on this last topic that I have because I wanted to kind of fit it in before uh, we hop off is um, like so we, kind of going back to something that we talked about earlier where like I said I, I want to be a townie uh, a little bit is there's certain things that I want in a town and but Victoria and I are not particularly interested in running a coffee shop or running a bar or running a restaurant. Well, Victoria kind of wants to run a restaurant, but, or she wants to own one. She doesn't really want to run it, but, uh, <laughs> but like those, those types of things is that, um, you know, there is, there, there's a structure that I would like to put into the Childerberg corporation that is, I don't want, I don't want there to be this, uh, I want to somehow figure out a way to remove the incentive for Childeberg town to become exactly what government towns are, which is a town monopoly over basically all the power in the town. I want it to be designed in such a way that it has a specific purpose that is a consensus purpose of the people who live in the town, um, a unanimous consensus, and that any other functions outside of that there it's it's perfectly fine for the corporation to start those things up but at a certain threshold of cost recoup or whatever it would be spun off into a separate corporation um and i think that, that well, allows uh, to be honest yeah. this is the, yeah this, this is something that i had thought about previously i i don't know if i'd mentioned it but i think that one of the key elements especially if we're going to do this uh consensus mm -hmm. rule is that we have to have, and we're going to have to think about it and do our research, but we're going to have to have a cap on how many people can. Um, and I think because, like, because what I was just thinking about with the power thing, like, let's say, okay, so we, we build this access, this access point where all the hookups are, and we, you know, uh, let, let's say, now uh, Jared's not here for this, so I hope he goes back and listens, but um, let's say 
we we decide on a particular power company to hook up to. Oh, you're still here? Oh, no, no, we were talking about the other Jared. Oh, J- oh I'm here. other Jared. Yeah, sorry. There, there's 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 yeah. there's too many Jakes and too many Jareds in the Liberty community. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Remember when everyone's name was Jared? Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Um, I'm just gonna go cry. But, okay, so we hook we we all agree that this particular power company has the best price and features whatever. So we hook them up to our grid going into Childerberg mm-hmm. Town. Um in order to make that process as easy as possible, you probably want to have a cap on how many people are sitting around arguing about that. Right. Well, and that that's uh that and, is one of the things that CeeLo solved that with with a maximum leaseholder uh amount, which is I think a hundred for them. Uh and Okay. And it's by family. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a so each each leaseholder gets a vote, basically. So it's so right. even if like let's say that like me and my wife moved there, our our, we could even change this if we wanted to to be be it it could be like you could have two leases well it could be like per it could be per years. acre so it could be per acre owned gives you a vote and so if you there's four houses on a one acre plot then those four households have to figure out a way to get a quarter acre. yeah yeah they they oh they have to agree on their yeah vote. or oh but see that almost sounds too federalistic uh well then it could it could be that then they each quarter acre gets a quarter vote or something but the, but the maximum number of votes or whatever would be 100 um, so there's a lot of different ways to do it, like because th- there's the other thing too is right. that if I own a hundred acres, yeah. See, there's a, there's a lot of stuff about this because because yeah. it's it, well, well it actually, I, mean, I guess it doesn't goes- matter because it's unanimous consent, so it doesn't matter how many acres right. you own. Yeah, exactly. And this is what this is what I like: unanimous consent and a cap on the number of people voting. And this, I think, goes to uh, do you know legal man on Twitter? He has a podcast. Oh, now. okay. Um. He's been he's been ranting and raving about how the system is just has gotten too big, and so there's no way that the process that the founding founder found, founding fathers had made could possibly work for a system this big. And I'm like, oh, okay, so cap the number of members, make it 100% consent, and uh, you know, split off like like you're saying, split things off so that the actual like land holding part of the corporation does as little as possible yeah yeah that that's that to me seems like a a good direction to go is that like is that the corporations that are formed have as minimum of a purpose as possible because i don't i don't like the idea well i don't want this to just be based off of what i like and what i don't like i'm i am worried that over time this just becomes a normal government that's that's always that's always my my right no that's exactly what i i know that's what we're going what what we've kind of been beating around the bush here and that's what i think like i said with all of this planning i think we are are coming up with ways to deal with that yeah right and i I think Um, so too and i think i think the unanimous consent thing is good i think that and that's another good thing that i thought you brought up too which was um you know Good. I, well, let, let me. Let, the the oh, one was, the one thing that you brought ahead. up that I that uh, I wanted to point out too, and well, actually, and also something that I kind of brought up as well is, um, if it gets more than let's say a hundred members, let's say that that's the cap, a hundred a hundred leaseholders. But then there's these people who kind of are attracted to the place as well, and they just don't have a leaseholding in Childeberg Town. They're more than welcome to form their own town nearby, or or you know, exactly. and and it would even be encouraged to some degree. Because I mean, you may have like, you know, hookers in Blow Town, you know, twenty miles down the road, and that's just not the town I want to live in. But there's a lot of people who might want to live in hookers in Blow Town. So, right, right. Um, 
Yeah, so what I was going to say is that also, like, one of the things that prevents it from getting nearly as big and ridiculous is that this is not representative. This is, I literally own stake in the system Mm -hmm. by owning land. And my, like, I'm the one making the vote. I'm not, I'm not, you know, petitioning my HOA board member and hoping that they help me out and vote on my behalf. Like, no, we we're we're literally just people making decisions about our own property, yeah. right? And so when we sit, when Rothbard said, "I want," you know, what's the population of the Earth? That's how many dictatorships right. I want, right? Right? Joke, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, we we are being dictators because this is our land, and like, uh, you know, we we've agreed to make this community, but we all also have stake in it, right? And mm-hmm. you know, one of one of the biggest things about I I think making it you know a limited number of people having that direct interaction with each other reinforces the stake that we have because like i said something on twitter a while ago about i I forget who i was retweeting or or what their tweet was but i said and this is how the pentagon can spend three thousand dollars on uh toilet seats is that there's some guy signing off checks and it's just like eh, not my money yeah right well it it this is 100 percent ours you know like that that is the intention of the community this is ours there's also you know this also kind of and let's just this is what we'll end and we'll put this out for seed for thought for maybe next time is uh i was reading about uh in england wales they have this traditional right called the the right of passage or right of public path um and it's basically it's that uh I don't know exactly how it works. I think it's just only on the on the edge of your border, but you can't make it so that people can't pass your property. And so there always has to be a walking area to a certain degree, mm-hmm. but then it also makes it so that there's no publicly held land. Um, there's no publicly owned land, but it, people are still allowed to walk through your land. So it's it's an interesting or 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 you know I think there's larger paths like roads and stuff like that for small vehicles and things like that. So I wonder if there's if we could sort of incorporate some sort of uh common law right of passage for people to um have a designated amount of space on the edge of everybody's property where you can run cable for either internet or power or something like that. I don't know, it's some, something to maybe mull over. I, I was I thought it was kind of an interesting thing because there was actually a, b- a bunch of wars fought over this in England a long time ago, and their solution oh, their wow. solution was because people would build these walls and nobody could walk through. And so, mm-hmm. um, I guess the way that they uh, the way that they solved this in England and Wales, I think, was just they they passed this kind of common law thing where like you're just allowed to walk through people's property if it's on the edge or something like that. So you so the the obligation mm-hmm. though of the property owner in that case is they could put a fence up but the fence has to have a, a gate. And so they've actually developed all these really uh, interesting gates that are uh, automatically closed and things like that in different ways so that livestock and stuff can't get out. Um, it's really interesting. It's very interesting. Actually, it's, it's just an interesting topic, but something maybe we should think about for that reason because maybe maybe there's a way to do what Jared was talking about, those kind of um, the, you know, the roads being the arteries, some sort of way to just make it a – just something that exists, not like not something that somebody's managing in any way. Yeah, I get that. Um, and and that kind of goes to my point about writing things yeah. down. 
you know, like if, if we have this written down that this is what we're doing, it makes it a lot harder for people to sit around and argue and bitch that like it got done in a particular way uh, when, you know, one of us might have done it slightly differently or not at all. Okay. It's like, no, we, we wrote it down on this paper. We've talked about this, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I like that yeah. a lot. This is, it's called, the, one of the gates they came up with is really neat. It's called the kissing gate. So like it's, it's no matter what you do, it's always closed, but it's designed in such a way that you can actually go through it, but it always stays closed. It's really interesting. That's yeah. Interesting. It's, um, I'd like to see that. Yeah, look at, look it up. It's called the kissing gate. Um, it's, it's really, they, they've got a whole bunch of interesting things, but yeah, I let, let's think about a couple of these. I wrote down a couple of points that I think, uh, we can bring up next month and, um, maybe okay. we'll be able to get Jared back on and some other people to join us in, uh, join us in, join, join in the conversation with us. I guess that that's the right way to say it. Uh, so I think that that's it. So go, go and do your plugs real quick. Sweet. Uh, Agora Brewing on Twitter. I've got a blog, Agora dot, uh, blog. Um, need to get back to updating that. And, uh, yeah, I, I had a great time tonight. I think this was a really productive conversation. Yeah, I, I had a good time too. Uh, you can check me out at Childerberg on Twitter or at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter or at the California Exile. This will be play- posted on the California Exile. So if you're listening to it, that's where you're listening to it. And um, I guess we'll talk to everybody next month. See you See later. Ya. So make.